What's going on, everybody? This is the Starving Artist Podcast, Volume 7. Uh, today we have on one of my friends, an old friend. Uh, her name's Victoria, and she is a she's a, a PR professional. And um, she had a lot of interesting things to say about how her world works, uh, how, how the world how her world interacts with the public, how, you know, language is, is, is stretched and, and spun and just really interesting and, uh, really opening. Uh, it's not looking good for humanity guys. If we can (laughs) just some of the stuff that she was saying about how they have to interact with us just because that's the population and that's how we are as a, as a people, we got to step it up. Um, we have to step it up guys, get smarter. It's smarter out there. Uh, volume 7 today is brought to you by Quaver. Quaver is a new online platform designed for private music teachers and was designed to take the administrative, time-consuming clutter out of running a private music teaching studio. Too much of a music teacher's time is wasted chasing down payments, organizing a teaching calendar, building an online presence, and finding new students. Quaver will help with all of that. On Quaver, you can automate receiving your lesson payments from your students, seamlessly organize your teaching calendar, and help yourself find new students with an easy-to-build studio webpage. Along with the automated lesson payments, Quaver wants to help private music teachers earn more money. Because when have you ever heard a music teacher say, I earn too much money? Never. Quaver will reward teachers with a 1% bonus on their total annual teaching revenue that is processed through the platform. Essentially, Quaver pays music teachers for using the platform to enhance their income. Quaver is free for teachers to use. We are passionate about building the Quaver community, providing a seamless online experience, and to enhancing the lives of music teachers and students. It takes, a few as three minute, it takes as few as three minutes to set up your account and to get started finding your students and enhancing your income. We at Quaver look forward to welcoming you into our online community. Quaver, let's make music together. <laughs> Three, two, one. What's going on, everybody? This is the Starving Artist Podcast, Volume Seven. Vic is uh, Victoria's here today in the house. She is number seven. It's good because this means we've done this seven times, and it's a weekly thing now. Have you listened to anything? I have. Which I, which I have one? Listen to um, the Server Podcast, so Heather's podcast, mm-hmm. and I listen to your old buddies podcast uh from football talking about education marco marco yep and i just was actually on the way down here listening to the one with a jonk jonk yeah what did you think of that one i think it's it's good don't spoil anything because i'm not you're not okay yeah yeah yeah. but i thought it was funny and i thought it was pretty good that one i've been getting messages from people because well it's athlete oriented yeah right and there's a lot of people that are in that boat with him with the concussions including myself same here the same you right you you too so before we get this rolling, um, tell all the people out there what it is, you, who you are, and what it is you do. So, for all of you that don't know, Mike and I go a bit back. Yeah, we go far back. We went to school together, went to university together. Um, so, I was a writing tutor uh, with his football team. And then, you know, I worked at the school for a little bit. And now I am a PR professional. I work at one of the top firms downtown. It's a small, mid-sized firm. I get to work on really cool clients. Um, and for those that don't know what PR is, I basically help with brand awareness. I'm a little bit of a client therapist and, uh, you know, I get to do really cool shit with them. 
You were in film, right? When you went to school? I was. I was a double major in English or sorry, major minor in English and film and sound. So mm-hmm. similar to you. Yeah. Do you use any of that at your uh at your at your at your setup? It's actually really funny. So I actually use a lot more of what I probably learned in film than I did my English. My English degree was actually very detrimental to um, my PR degree. Detrimental. Detrimental. I use that. What do you mean by detrimental, though? Because when you're an English major, you're supposed to. There's a command of the English language. Mm-hmm. Like you're supposed to be able to play with the different words and your vocabulary to make it very colorful. When it comes to PR, they don't care about that. What they want is, you know, it has to be that a grade seven is able to read it and understand it because mm-hmm. the majority of society can only understand up to that, apparently, according to stats. Wait, wait. So according to stats, you're saying that the mo- most of society can only underst- uh, can only under- comprehend things at a grade seven level? Yep. That is the, that is the standard of... Um, of the English language and uh, Western society's comprehension. Shut up. That's not true, is it? It is. It is a grade seven level. So any words that is above that Mm -hmm. in, let's say, a press release or, you know, um, even interviews, we're not supposed to use it because the majority of society is not going to be understanding of it. And we're trying to hit a certain consumer market. We have to hit the whole consumer market while also hitting our target demographics. So my lexicon, if I want to use a big yeah, word like big that, word. Yeah. there you go, um, actually caused me to almost fail my writing class in PR until I got it. And then, um, yeah, it wasn't until like I started thinking more how I was supposed to write in film, which is kind of like straight to the point. Mm -hmm. You saw the different terminology. You used it in such a way that didn't make you sound like a douchebag, if Mm -hmm. you could. Mm -hmm. Um, And that actually made me a stronger writer. Also, just getting out of my head. So I think I use more of my film understanding. And then with English, it was more my, my ability to contextualize as well as to learn how to break down the language to like just very short sentences you know like in when you had to write those super like tiny essays they're mm-hmm. like two pages i finally understand what they mean and why we have to do that that's crazy to me that people can only understand to i that know level. i can see it in your face You're well like, it's well it, yeah. yeah because it's just it's i have a friend who who runs a uh a pr program actually out of a college uh at home and this is just news to me that that that's how you have to attack anything that happens, right? So PR, public relations, right? So no. if, if shit hits the fan in, in somewhere, yeah, okay, it would be up to you to take whatever happened and spin it. Yes, in order or reframe it. Reframe it. Yeah. And you have to reframe it in a way that you're talking to a seventh grader. Yeah, so that they understand it. So there's, there's no way for the consumer, the target audience, the mm-hmm. demographic to misconstrue what you say. So it's very, very uh, targeted as well. Okay. So if I was to, you know, use very beautiful, flowery language that Shakespeare would like, mm-hmm. that can be misconstrued so, so easily versus if I just say what I have to say, which is exactly how you have to speak to someone in the seventh grade or sixth grade. Like they don't, according to stats, they don't have the comprehensive or the, the development yet to actually, um, you know, be able to bring that into a full circle versus if you speak to them very directly. And when I say stats, this comes from like stats, professors, yeah, yeah, yeah. things like that. I'm sure some studies, like some some yeah. really in-depth studies. Is this is this phenomenon across all PR platforms? Like is this something that gets taught to everyone in PR that you have to talk to people at an elementary level like this? Yeah. 
it's it's taught to us like from from day one when you enter your writing classes Jesus. or your presentation classes you are supposed to speak and write in a certain way until you're able to build your credibility and then you can you know really push a different agenda and a different personality but we are expected to do that it's actually you know in my in one of my english classes i was also told that it's actually my shakespearean uh professor he was amazing absolutely amazing and he was just floored and he was like it was almost like a dead poet society scene mm-hmm. with him. He was very much like, you know, words are meant to woo and words are meant to, you know, make beauty out of dark times. Sure, and it yeah. was so beautiful to hear him speak like that. It mm-hmm. made you want to speak more and speak stronger. But he was also just very good at being adaptable and being like, i got to speak like a seventh grader or i got to speak to a seventh grader. This is how you do it. But he still sounded eloquent. It was great. I know, but it just it's so, man, it's, it's just like a, it's a shot to like human language. It's not only that; it's a shot to, to 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 like human intelligence. It is. It is a shot to human intelligence. That you have actually. to in- interact with us, yeah. with the general public in that way, or else, or else we can take something and completely twist it to something that you guys don't even mean or don't even. Yeah. It, the meaning of whatever you're saying isn't even it, not even in the ballpark yeah. of what these people are thinking. It's true. Yeah. Have you ever had to like what was I, I without giving examples? Okay. <laughs> what was something that you had to do that in? Mm. Like a project that you maybe had to had professionally to, or in like PR school. <sighs> maybe both. Give me maybe PR school just because you can probably take a little more detail into it. Okay. And then maybe switch over to professional because the professional there's probably people going. You know, I'd love to know which company <laughs> did that. But go PR school. Okay, so PR school. Um, so okay, so when I went into PR school. Um, it was a bit like the Hunger Games. So our cohort Oof. was too big. So they basically asked us to volunteer as tribute and go into the GR, so government relations program. Okay. And we would come out with our PR degree and additional credits in government relations. I learned that I wasn't very good at government relations. What's government relations? Essentially, um, how do I put it? Essentially, you learn you know, how the Canadian government actually works. Uh, you learn about the laws behind it. You learn about what happens, you know, if a politician does something really terrible, how as a communications professional you need to handle it because you need to handle it from the idea of you have to make sure their reputation isn't ruined. You have to sweep up their mess. Exactly. Man. While also following <laughs> Canadian law. It's ah. interesting, um, but it's very hard to understand if you don't come into it with an understanding of poli sci or, you know, government in that sense. Yeah. So, what we actually got to do in that, though, and it trickled into my PR, was um, a media scrum. And I absolutely love them. So mm-hmm. what a media scrum is, is it trains you to when you have like a corporate professional or an interview prospect that you invite the media to a conference. And this is the media's opportunity to try and either ask them the really hard questions, rip them apart, see how well that professional, that mm-hmm. CEO, whatever, yep. can take their questions. Um, so what I actually did for this media scrum was I played both parts. I was an interviewee and then an interviewer. Mm -hmm. So on the interviewee side, I actually took the stance of, um, universities and, but being on the side of the student. And it was actually when the whole OSAP debate was going on about, you know, what is free tuition? Why is it raising? Like students can't pay it back. Mm -hmm. And I had this opportunity to create this really beautiful speech from the perspective of a student because I'm very much for them and this one um, classmate tried to poke holes in my story and she was raising her hand before she was supposed to you're supposed to give like a certain amount of time before you ask questions 
And I started getting really agitated by it because I was like, can't you just follow the rules for me? Like, just give me an opportunity. And she picked one sentence that I had said, and it was very empathetic to the student. But I used the wrong, not the wrong terminology. I used the right terminology. Just I was too passionate about it. So she was able to take that and try to flip it on me. And it was really like one of those moments where you're like, oh, my God if this was the real world, what would I do? And so like I took a step back and I was like, okay. And this is where I brought in like, I'm going to use straight to the point language. And what I did was I flipped it or spun it or reframed it, however you want to say it on its head. And I brought it back to her and I was like, how did you feel when you were a student? Mm. And she just stopped. And I was like, that's that moment where you're frozen right there is how every student is feeling with, let's say OSAP or debt Mm -hmm. or whatever. It's that, uh, like it's it's just this daunting pause that makes you feel like, where what's the next scene? What, what am I gonna do next? It's all these questions. It's all the what ifs. It's yeah. all the, it's all the yeah. five W's. All in one moment that is standing still but moving way too fast for you to keep up. And I was able to I was able to bring it back to the whole concept. And she she didn't talk the rest of the time. Oh, obviously really not. Great. Yeah, yeah. But. It is in those kind of moments from like a like a school perspective where I had to like learn that sounding flowery and sounding smart is great. Mm-hmm. But if you can actually do it at such a level that anyone can understand it and not pu- pull it apart, you're actually probably a lot smarter than you think. And that was something my professor also taught us. But like in in the workplace, we've had it. I work on corporate consumer clients and we had this um, interview with a very top tier media outlet it was on the business side of things and this this is the first time I think I've ever really had um, because I'm also still new to the to the profession yeah you are yeah and I think that it was interesting because the first time that I had to see uh, one of my clients really take the reins on an interview and he did it like just so well yeah he did it so well he commanded it they threw him questions that were supposed to throw him off and you know we're always taught transparency honesty mm-hmm. I've, I've never been able to actually see it firsthand like that and he handled it so well he was straight to the point he was honest about some things that were going on some company transitions things like that and the respect on the journalist side for that mm-hmm. because you're building that reputation you're building that credibility that you're okay to talk about what's going on was just, you could just see it in their face. It was really, really great. Yeah, no, I would. And it's funny that you're talking about truth and you're talking about how you have to sort of get that, that, that's sort of the basis of all this kind of thing. Right. So, I mean, maybe this is just beyond our understanding, but like, what's the deal with, with, I'm sure Sarah Huckabee Sanders is like a fucking case study in in university about how you're seeing someone, taking stuff and and twisting it and 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 sort of pushing yeah a like a a, an obviously false narrative yeah right now is that something that gets taught in in pr school or is this something that's 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 uh that's sort of exclusive to to figuring out on your own like let's say trump you know obviously he knows how to play the media right is that is that shit something that gets taught in in pr school um so to clarify, do you mean like are we taught the false narrative, like how to do that? Are, are you spin? yeah, are you are you taught how to do both, I guess? Like how to spin yeah. and how to how to get people on the false narrative. Is that something that is taught or is that something that's picked up from just years of, of knowing how media works, knowing how language works? So um 
Okay, so remember when I, I used to work with the guys yeah. and I would tell them that the knuckleheads. easiest the knuckleheads, <laughs> the easiest way to get an A yeah. is to learn how to play your to your TA. That still applies in PR and I found that that very much still applies to everyday life, I think. So what I mean by that is are we taught a false narrative? No, cuz there's there's ethics and there's mm-hmm. morals that they teach us not to compromise and not to tread on. Mm-hmm. But then we are also taught how to use our language and how to use things to ensure that whatever the outcome is, it is the best possible outcome. No matter what. No matter what. Even if it is detrimental. What if it's not ethical? When it when it's something like not ethical, it honestly, that depends, and com- this is actually coming from a bit of experience, that honestly depends on the PR professional mm. and what the client wants. So um, I've, I've, even in my short couple of years working in PR, I've worked with a variety of PR professionals. And it's funny, there are, there are really, there are, two, there are two types of PR professionals, and I saw this in school. The PR professional professor that came in and did his own PR his or her own PR mm-hmm. for themselves and was like playing up the industry and why they're great. And then I had, and one, one or two professors come to mind for this. Um, and then there's the other professors who just love the industry and who just love working with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, I think are the two kind of people that live in PR and those two type of people tread a very different moral ground. The person that is good and loves their, their job, let's say, um, are the people who are going to ensure that that their clients are going to walk that integrity, that mm-hmm. ethical line as mm-hmm. best as humanly possible. Okay. I find that the other people who are kind of more self-invested in themselves and building this like very glamorous PR image of themselves are those that are probably going to walk a very different path. I feel like it's a little more, it's darker. It's a little darker. It is a little darker. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, uh, it's it's not a nine to five job by any means. I think I've, this week alone, um, I think I worked an 80 hour week. Jesus. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a long, it's a long time because, you know, our, our clients don't sleep. I don't no. think as much as we do. Bad shit goes wrong all the time. All you the have time. to be uh, yeah, you have to be on call. You're oh, on call, really. I'm on call. Yeah. I'm on call all the time. If one of these idiots says something yeah. or something comes out, yeah. you have to be there to to help to them out. fucking clean the mess, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's funny because treading that like ethical line, let's yeah. say. Um there are loopholes is the wrong word, but there are ways that you can find how to you know, solve a solution while, while still making your client look good, while still treading an ethical line, you know, even if there's something that's bad that, that might have happened, there are, there are ways that you can, you can bring them back to a very ethical stance, I think. Even if that means, and there's one, there's one case study where we had, there was a company that, you know, really didn't do a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they made a huge mistake and their PR professionals decided that the best way to do it was to own it, but show what they can't do and make the, the company tread that path. 
And that is, a, in my opinion, and yeah. maybe I'm ultra romantic in that sense, that is like a kind of a PR professional that I would like aspire to be is to helping those clients understand the different lines. Because you're right, in the corporate world, it is seedy. It's, it, I, man, the corporate world is, is very like, it's cutthroat. It's so it's cutthroat. super cutthroat. And, and people can get sucked into that super quickly. And, and get turned and sort of fly and, and get turned in a way that compromises their own integrity, right? Mm-hmm. And I think PR, uh, I don't want to say fosters it, but PR definitely shields. We're very good at shielding. Very good at shielding. We're very good at shielding. And it's, you know, now that now, now that you've told me sort of the way that it works a little bit, it, it's, it's not as surprising anymore to, to see it's, on TV yeah. someone going, you know, saying it very simply, very to the point. Yeah. And it's not as surprising anymore now that you told me how sort of the playbook works. Yeah, it's and that's a good way of putting it. And it's funny because, you know, I have my, my girlfriends and my guy friends that say, what do you do? And I'll say, well, I do PR. And then they'll ask me what it is. And it is so hard because I wear many hats. Like you really do in PR. If you are someone who gets bored in a job and doesn't know how to harness their creativity, like PR is probably for you because I can get bored really easily. And I love PR because I don't get bored. I get to, I get to work with marketers. I get to work yeah. with huge clients. I get to do guerrilla style pop-up events and things like that. Like I get to work with really amazing things, but at the same time, like it's not as glamorous. It's not Samantha from sex in the city who gets to go to all these parties. If you're going to a party nine times out of 10, you're going to be exhausted because the lead up to that party was like months of preparation. And yes, you get to talk to all these cool people, but at the same time, it's exhausting because you're always on. You're a filter. You're just a, you're a filter. If you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. We are. Man. It's so much fun. Though. I bet it is when it goes well. <laughs> yeah. I bet when it goes well, it's probably super fun. Yeah. Like give me like what, what are some examples of things going well that you get to, you know, run the game on? Um, I actually work uh, with a corporate automotive client who just partnered with, um, wh- who just partnered with the CHL and also works with, um, Special Olympics Canada, and I get to work with these really, really awesome people on both ends of the spectrum. And you know how much I love sports. Yeah. And these are two different ends of the spectrum, and they're actually so in line with one another. Um, And I love working with those because I get to I get to take those athletes and I get to work with them to get them out on like the media. I had this one athlete. He's out in Calgary and uh, Special Olympian is amazing. He was on the radio. It was a live show. It was the first time he was ever on the radio first time he was so excited and uh the journalist asked him you know so why do you do your sport Mm -hmm. and I find that very interesting that you ask them that because I don't find that's a question that you would ask a professional athlete but that's another another conversation (laughs) I mean it's a valid question I mean I think it's a valid why do you play yeah I mean I someone would ask me I love the game right it's not you love the game right but this athlete was just you know he loves training. He, you know, he, he gave that whole thing. But the end of it was the best thing. He was like, it's because I'm awesome. Like, oh. he was so honest about oh, it. Oh, okay. He was so <laughs> honest about it, and he was so happy. And at the end of it, and it's very rare for, for you know, an interviewee to say this to a journalist, but he's like, I really hope you have a great day, and thank you so much for having me on air. Like, he said it, and he was so nice about it. Mm-hmm. And he was just, it was just, like, one of those moments that's just, like, it pulls at your heartstrings, and I love it. Athletes have a weird, uh, a, a definitely a weird relationship with the media. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Do you, do you work in a lot of sports stuff for media? Um... Currently, I'm working with 
a few just because of partnerships and things like okay. that through our clients. Like yeah. we do a lot of that. Um, but, and they're very different ends of the spectrum, but I do get to, I've in like, I think I've been in the industry for like two or three years now in the last nine months, I have done probably more PR and harness more of my skills in mm-hmm. that, in that particular area, just because like I get to work with really great clients actually. Sure. Totally. Mm-hmm. To go back to the, to that, to the greasy shit, hold on. Cause you just, you jarred my memory a little bit. <laughs> I wanted to ask you something, mm-hmm. um, because you're new mm-hmm. at it, right? Is it is it expected of you to know how to grease the wheels if if it's needed? Because you're like you said, you're two two three years in. Maybe you're not the PR person mm-hmm. in in whatever industry that needs you. Yeah. But is there like is it expected of you to know how to already toe that ethical line, or is it something that's learned? Mm, I think it's a bit of it's a bit of both. So um, when. We're, when we're trained, we're always trained, you know, you have to be honest, you have to be transparent, you have to do the, the best for the company and the, and the best for the consumers, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> is that kind of bullshit, though? To be taught to be honest when you're, when you're, when you're. When the agenda is focused when, on the client? It, well, you're, you're taught to be honest, but you're intentionally mis, mis, uh, misdirectioning. You're, you're intentionally performing misdirection. Or reframing. Or reframing, re- whatever. Like the fucking buzzwords, right? <laughs> yeah. Like. You know what I mean? Is it being honest at that point? Um, I think, I think to an extent, mm. it sounds. It probably sounds like weird to say this, maybe, but it's like Santa Claus. It's like you you tell you tell your kids as much as they need to know to make them believe in in the company. Mm-hmm. That's what I think towing that line is kind of being because, at the same time, there are certain things that we know that we honestly we just can't talk about sure. from our clients' perspective. Yeah. We're not we're not allowed to talk about it. Yeah. Um, we're trained to an extent, but there's like this unspoken rule that you are going to learn something very different once you're on the job because there's only so many things, like even when you become a professor, there's only so many things that they can actually tell us and there's only so many things that they can teach us. It's literally on the job will, where you will learn the most. Yeah, You're going to learn. It's something so different. And like I'm sure yeah. you know, like uh, you, you taught yourself everything that you know, basically. I, well that was only because though the the type of degree i was in yeah really. like we didn't touch shit yeah when i was in school anything. right but that was sort of like if i would have go if i would have went back um in my first year or when i was going into university and ditched the kinesiology thing yeah i probably would have went into production and mm-hmm. i probably would have used cameras and editing and shit like that yeah i think it's i think it's good that i didn't because i developed my own style yeah and my own way of doing things yeah but yeah, you, you know, and it's very similar when you're in, in when you're in PR, um, you start developing your own style and, and your own way of doing things. And that's the one thing about PR is that and that's probably why they, they teach us certain things to an extent. And then they're like, you've got to work on figuring out yourself as well, because we have to be so adaptable. So for me, um, you know, media relations is a really huge thing. That's like learning how to pitch the media, get your stories out there, get interviews, et cetera, et cetera. But you have to learn what the media are looking for and like how to do it. And there are some people that are set in their ways and mm-hmm. like, this is how you do it. This is what you need to do versus me. And, and you know, my style of everything. I got you, Vic. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's probably a little uncontroversial like, yeah, and not bit. expected, yeah. but it works for me. Like I was able to talk to me. I was on the media call for, I think it was like, I think it was like CBC or CTV or something like that. It was one of those big guys. And 
Um, I actually didn't end up pitching them a story that we wanted to get out there and wanted to invite them to. Uh, we actually ended up talking about, um, well, he introduced himself and I introduced myself. He goes, oh, Victoria, tell me your secret. And I was just like, oh, you're so funny. <laughs> um, and we yeah. actually ended up talking um, about the weather and about his morning because the morning people start at like anywhere between 2 and 4 a.m. And he'd been there for a while. Oh, and like shit. I took the time to actually just talk to him. Yeah. And then he's like, so you're going to pitch me a story, aren't you? I'm like, I would love to. He goes, how about this? I'll give you an interview. I don't know what it's about. Mm-hmm. I'll make it fit my segment. And I was like, are you serious? And yeah. he was like, you know what? You took the time out of your day to actually talk to me rather than just like sell me on something. I'm yeah. like, thank you, sir. Yeah. Building relationships, man. Yeah. And when, you know, we do these things, a lot of the companies do this. They do these things where it's like key learnings of the day. Mm-hmm. And I came to my key learnings of the day and I was like, you know, this is what happened. This is what I did. And I knew there was someone in the office that didn't necessarily agree. I was like, I got the client on the media mm-hmm. side and I did it very differently, but it was because they were, they actually just became interested on the people who are on the other side. So yeah. That's okay. That's a win for me. Did you learn that skill in school or is that something you picked oh, up God, along no. the way? It segued to, I'm glad you said no, because <laughs> it sounds like the more I hear about this, uh, the more I kind of, it sounds like you need more of life experience and human experience yeah. rather than classroom experience. You do. So, is school really the necessary place to to is is school the um the most appropriate avenue to take then like if 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 the skill is to learn know how to talk and know how to i don't want to say manipulate but yeah. know how to pull the strings is school really the place to learn that or is it more hey man you got to get out into the world you have to interact with whole you know a whole bunch of people you have to know how to you know pull the strings in in the real life setting like is school the way to go for this sort of thing so it's funny because um am i so i've worked in two different agencies the first agency i worked at um they everyone is very big on the school side so it's it's beneficial for our industry because you are more likely to get an internship you're probably more likely to get hired if you take that internship Mm, okay. Uh, sorry, if you do the schooling to get the internship, you are more likely to get hired. Um, doing the program that I did, I was not impressed with it because it didn't prepare me as much as I would have liked. There were two professors mm-hmm. out of like 10 or 15 classes that I took that actually prepared me for PR. Okay. Um, one was an events class. One was a presentations class. And um, they were like really the only ones that really prepared me. Um, I think that when you're older and you want to jump into PR or jump into communications and you have the experience, you're probably a little bit, mm, you'll you'll probably survive a little bit better. As an older PR professional. As an older person, a person, adult, whatever coming in. As a young professional who's interested in starting their degree, Mm -hmm. it is good to have those fundamentals because it is so, so easy to get overwhelmed. So agency is there's a, there are two sayings in PR. It's PR, not ER. And it's because we can get overwhelmed really quickly. It can yep. get stressful. The other one is if you can survive agency, you can survive anything. And the reason is, is because you are working on mass amount of clients all the time with different campaigns and different pr- projects and whatever. And you have to learn how to manage it. The reason that school is good if you're going into agency is because, you know, 
it's going to prepare you to know how to develop if you if and i'm going to say this very loosely if you have a good professor if you have a good school program yeah um it's going to prepare you to do things like a press release and how to develop it it's going to teach you how to harness your language it's going to teach you how to write properly sure yeah um it's going to teach you how to build a media list it's going to it's going to teach you certain things so that when you get in there you are not going to be scared and you'll have a little bit more faith in yourself but as soon as you're in there though it's kind of it's like this weird it's like this weird inception as soon as you get into your internship or at least is what I thought when I got in there the schooling prepared me but I wish it had prepared me so much more because these are people with um like shit tons of experience yeah it's 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 amazing to see what they they can do and come up with for strategy and tactical approaches to all these different campaigns and then they expect you to kind of jump in so there is an expectation they expect you to kind of jump in and you're sitting there as an intern being like it's a lot that's a lot as an intern yeah it's and it's a lot and what they do is they literally they won't teach treat you like an intern like to an extent yeah you're gonna get the coffee and you got to do like the shitty grunt work but to an extent almost every agency is going to be like okay welcome to the real world now yeah let's jump in as it does though as 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 most as most industries happen you know that's how it sort of works right Mm -hmm. you're coming from school interning i mean i got i got denied from every internship i ever applied to but I can understand how they would look at you like, hey, this is no longer, this isn't a game anymore, especially when you're dealing with people's reputations. Yeah, which is big. As greasy as it may be in some cases, you're still dealing, even on the good side too, you're still dealing with, you're still dealing with reputations of of companies that have been around for like a hundred years. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you have to be very careful with that. Doesn't matter what kind of bullshit they pull, you still have to sort of, I, I feel like you still have to be able to apply everything that you've learned in school right away almost you know what i mean yeah and it's funny because you know when i was listening to your podcast with marco mm-hmm. he had mentioned that he thinks school is a benefit and it's useful and i i do want to give him a shout out because i do agree with him marco marco <laughs> you got a shout out man <laughs> i told him i told him that you listened to it and, yeah? he, and you really you really took to uh, a couple of things that he said. Yes. Yeah. And I would love to talk about those. We can talk about yeah, those. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so I agree with him. Yeah. I think school is important and you can do it from two different perspectives being like Western society. We are, this is amazing. You know, not many people get to do this, but school makes you realize the skills that you do and do not have. And if there is anything that you can learn from school, even if it's not how to do the perfect equation or it is how to do the perfect equation or write the perfect sentence, you are going to walk out at least having skills. And the one thing that I can say that most students don't realize is that what the skills they had. And I can bring this back to the football guys. Yep, yep. Um, and I'm thinking of one in particular. He, uh, um, well, two of them actually, they were really good at writing their papers. Mm-hmm. They were they were really good at arguing them with me. Okay. Um, but this is all because they could speak it to me. As soon as they put it to paper, they tried to sound too smart and they were using big words. And I was like, you actually don't realize that you're, you're making yourself sound stupid because one word is actually canceling out the other word. Mm-hmm. And similar to a math equation, a sentence kind of flows in a similar way. Sure. Everything yeah. kind of works together. And I think it's because, you know, they're, when I say there, I mean students in general are trying so hard to make themselves sound smart or so hard to impress the TA or so hard to impress the the professor when in the long run they're not realizing, you know, what skills they have. And in this particular, the, the athlete I'm particularly thinking of, he was so good at speaking it. Mm-hmm. 
So every time I got his paper, I would make him read it out loud to me and then say, what does that mean? He no goes, idea. <laughs> and he literally would be like, he'd say yeah. what he meant it to me. And I'm like, dude, why did you not just write it on the paper? Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, isn't that what I said? I'm like, no, actually not at all. And he just didn't realize what skills he had from this particular class. And he couldn't translate it. And that's one thing is like students, I think, and I wish the education system worked on this a little bit more, was helping students realize the skills that they have and what they can do with those skills and what they're actually teaching them. Like it's not just calculus. It's not just what Shakespeare was doing. Like the most things I know about history are actually because I can pull them out of Shakespeare. Things I know about calculus. Well, I don't know anything about calculus to be perfectly honest, but (laughs) I can understand how to apply certain things and why they are important. And most students do not understand that. Well, because you're taught, you're, you're asking the school to actually like sit, like you're at, you're asking the school to, to teach, to, to uh, treat everyone on a case-to-case basis, and it doesn't. You've it, been there long true. enough. Yeah. We're not, it, you, the, the, the secondary, the post-secondary system is not built to, uh, to to build strengths, I feel. It's built to, and I'm talking about general liberal arts degrees. Yes. You know what I'm saying? I'm not are, talking about the professional no. teacher, lawyer, doctor. I'm talking about just when kids go to school for the four-year degree, mm-hmm. of whatever is psychology or yeah. whatever. It's not built to 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 keep everyone on a case by case basis. It's yeah. we're all in this pool, okay? It's like the test. I don't know if you've ever seen the cartoon of like it's like climb this tree and you have like an elephant, a monkey, yeah. an alligator. That's what school is, unfortunately, yeah. right? And a lot of these people don't tell these kids that that's what it is going into university. And that's where me and Marco started. Was it's like were you ever told you should you have gone to university? And that was the path that like no, no matter what that was the path to go on. And that was another thing that um, I, I agreed with very much with you and Marco on that was that nobody told kids, students, families, you don't have to go to university. Anyone listening to this, you do not have to go to university. You don't have to go to college. You can work. You are going to learn. You just need to be able to reflect and see what skills you actually possess yeah. and how you can apply them. I did student recruitment um, at my university for like six months. And I had this um, this student who kept raising her hand every time I was trying to like complete a thought. Question about the school, question about the curriculum, question about safety, question about classes, question about where to get food. And I literally stopped and I took a chair and I sat down. I was in this big auditorium at mm-hmm. one of these like private schools. I had like 500 kids. And I asked them, they were all sitting at the back. And I was like, okay. Because they're too cool, that's why. Exactly. Yeah. So I actually asked everyone to sit all the way in the front Mm -hmm. and like sit around me and I sat down and there were some parents there I'm like I'm gonna stop telling you about why you need to come to my school Mm -hmm. because I love our school yeah I asked them to tell me what their fears were and what they want to know about post-secondary and the parents actually had one particular parent in mind and he was he came up to me at the end first of all he thought I was really funny which made me really happy um but he said to me thank you so much for being honest with my kid. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he was like, everyone tells them you have to go to university no, to get a that. call, like to just get a job. I'm like, yeah, no. I was like, bullshit. I was like, I went to school. For, I went to university. Then I did a postgrad at college. I'm like, I would not be where I'm at if I didn't, you know, go to college right after it. Yeah. And or even not go. I mean, even not go at all. Yeah. If, you, if you choose not to, that's yeah. totally fine. And I was like, there are ways to do things. It's literally finding your fit. If you fit at university and that is going to fit your end game, 
awesome. If college is going to get you there as well, that's awesome. If working somewhere else to get that experience and then going to school or not going to school fits, then do it. Like, yeah, it's totally okay. Yeah. There's not enough of that. And they need, and the thing is that students need to hear it. I had this one parent came up to me and he said to me, my son's going to be a lawyer. Okay. Says who you or says, I know it says, says you dad or your kid. Right. And I'm looking at his kid and the kid is not paying attention. And I can tell he's a hockey kid. I can tell that he also liked the arts because his backpack had all these like pins and whatever on it. And so I said to the dad, I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'm like, buddy, what's your name? And I'll use John for the sake of the story. Mm -hmm. And he's like, John. And I was like, cool. So John, you want to be a lawyer? Yes, he wants to be a lawyer is what the dad said. I'm like, dude, let your kid speak. Yeah. Like, just let the kid talk to me. And then the dad kind of moved away and he was talking to some other school and the, and the kid stayed around me. And I was like, buddy, what do you want to do? And he's like, I don't know. I guess I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm like, maybe a doctor. I was like, cool. Mm-hmm. What's your GPA? And he goes, what's a GPA? I'm like, mm. If you and and it sounds bad to make that stereotype almost, but like these parents want their kids to do these things, but they don't understand that like if you ask them what a GPA is and they don't know, that's actually something that a lot of law schools are asking the high school students, what's your GPA? Yeah. And in you and in high school, you don't really have one, like you do, but at the same time it's an really average matter. mark. Actually now yeah. now they they got rid of fucking failing. You're not exactly. allowed to fail in high school anymore. You're not allowed to fail in high school. Which is so oh my god, you're setting these kids up to be Failures. Failures, yeah, man. If you can't fail in high school. If you can't learn the consequences, kind if of. If you can't learn shit. Yeah, if you can't learn that, if you, you can't you can't show, you know, if you're going to do the school route, you sort of have to play the game of the school route. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? If you're going to go to university and you're going to bitch and complain and not fit within the system, oh. you're going to have a tough time, man. So just don't even attempt it in the first place. Exactly. You know? And it was funny just like talking to him. He didn't know the route he had to take. He didn't know any of it. But his dad expected him or I don't know, I expected him. Maybe that's like a big judgment, but kind of was pushing that and being like, you know, this is what's going to happen. This is what he has to do. But it's it's funny, like you I just feel like there's a big expectation on kids and like it needs to stop. It needs there needs to maybe this is PR for you. There needs to be a little (laughs) bit more transparency and honesty. She's running her game. I'm running my game. Running the game, man. Needs to be there needs to be that for the for the kids that are coming in for the next generation. Like it's actually funny. Do you want to know the majority of people who actually get into law school or go to med school? You want to know it's it's it was an interesting stat that I learned. Is it the average age? No. What kind of backgrounds? I don't know. Music What's kids, really? and liberal arts kids. You want to know why? The the students that apparently, and this is a statistic that was told to me by someone within my training facility for this particular job, they said that anyone who had a music degree or was in the liberal arts was trained to think outside the box exactly. very differently. Yeah. So they were actually able to do the job better and understand the language and understand the context and contextualize and analyze and do all that fun stuff better than somebody who took well we don't have pre-law but criminology though criminology and poli-sci because they're trained to think such a specific way versus like a a music kid you think creatively yeah you think creatively and that could take you to a multitude of different exactly and that's what a lawyer is a lawyer is just is someone who just creatively finds loopholes in the law exactly you know what i mean that's and like I guess a PR person would be great at that then because we find a lot of different ways to, you know, 
tell a story or look at the different angles. And that's a lot of, that's what it is. And yeah. parents don't see that. Like I had, I had a kid come up to me and say, well, my dad wants me to be a doctor. I want to be a psychologist. And I was like, cool, that's fun. And the dad's like, there's no money in psychology. Like he, like he, he whispered it to me. I'm like, yeah. well, here's my question to you, sir. You know, the world is made up of people. Mm-hmm. What industry doesn't work with people? And he just kind of looked at me. I'm like, psychology is a study of human beings. It's a study of, you know, behaviors, it's a study of the mind. Yeah. You're working with that every single day. Yeah. It's like and humanities too. Yeah, humanities it's like humanities. Just, yeah. And it, it's funny because he, he couldn't just see that. There's like a weird stigma about psychology or about music or, you know, the liberal arts or even like, even like the engineers. Engineers are kind of like quirky. They can't think outside the box. I know a lot of engineers. They're actually, they're very smart. Mm-hmm. It's you have to actually, again, pull those skills out of them yeah, yeah, to yeah. get them to that point where they feel comfortable. Yeah. I mean, a lot of kids, too, I don't think should ever go into a program like that because I think I think inherently everyone's creative. I think so, too. I think there's like a, I'm thinking of a scene from Hook where he kind of like had this realization where mm-hmm. his creativity and his imagination was stunted by adulthood. And I feel yeah. like that, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that happens. Man, especially... In the corporate world, as you well know, yeah, those people end up being, I don't want to say drones because that's a mean, mean word to say, but a lot of those people, like, at some way, somewhere along the way forgot something about yeah. themselves and they ended up, they end up just getting fucking stuffed in the box and eight hours a day just doing it, going home, doing it, going, going home and you're just, it, it gets, it gets beaten out of them. It, it does. And it's, it's. It's funny because I find that students in that right in that ripe age of high school where it's like grade 10, they get the civics and careers class. I feel like they lie in civics and careers. They did not prepare me like my no, test. No, are you kidding me? My test. Civics in, and careers. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, civics, civics didn't teach me or maybe I don't remember, but it didn't teach me enough. And careers, I'm pretty sure they told me I need to be a chef and like oh, I almost man. burned down my apartment. So that's, I lie. That's horseshit. That's so horseshit. It's just a bunch of box checking. It's it all is. it is. Yeah. And like, I hate it because in grade 10, they were like, so what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out. And I'm 26 now. Like I don't want to stifle myself to one area. Like I have goals in my life and they're milestones and I don't care how I get to them. Sure. Yeah. I, I, I just want to get to them. They're just, they're just ways to me. And it's, it sucks to be like in grade 10 when, what are you like 15, 16 in grade 10? Yeah. But I think 16. Yeah. Did you know what you wanted to be when you were 16? I, um, I fortunately, uh, was a hobbyist doing this stuff. So I've actually been wanting to do this forever mm. for, since I was like five, since, since I was like five years old. Okay. But the the industry changed when social media happened. Okay. Oh, social media. So when I uh, like when I became like in my twenties, um, and I, I this was on the back burner a little bit. It, uh, it, it when when I saw what social media was capable of, like I didn't really understand, and then I started working in it. And I went, dude, this is it now. This yeah. is the time to, to attack this shit and actually like start doing it and trying to make a living because this is the biggest, uh, you know, advancement in, in, I don't know what you want to call it, in creativity almost ever, right? Yeah. So, so I, I was fortunate enough that all of that lined up 
at the same time. Yeah. Right. And now the journey's still going and I'm still like, I'm not, I'm not, I, the goal is to have my own business, but I'm enjoying trying to figure out how to do that mm-hmm. along the way. Right. What you were saying when you're like, I was, I'm 26. I still don't know what to do. I think we are in a, in a, in a very shitty spot because our parents knew what they were doing at 20 years old. Yeah. My mom, my mom was 21 and married. Yep, mine was 20, 23 when she got engaged, was dating my dad for five years. Prior there to you that. go. Yeah. Twenty at, my, at 21, my mom was married. I think at 23 or four, she had one kid. And then I think by time she was 28 or 29, she had me. So my parent, like my mom, my dad was a little older, but uh, my mom was in that, like her whole 20s was spent in marriage and motherhood, right? Mm-hmm. And then because our gen, that, that parental generation only knows that, it sort of gets passed down yeah. a little bit. So there's people who are my age, 28. There's people that are your age, 26, who are fucking panicking. Yeah. Going, dude, I'm 26. I'm 28. I'm not married. I don't have this. It's like, shut you, the fuck up and, and it, relax for a minute. I understand the panic, though, because also we're living in the worst time to be alive in terms of, like we were just talking about, fucking housing in this city Yeah, is nutty. And if unless you're making... I think the last stat was you have to be making at least 100k to get a mortgage. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then if you know to rent you you need you need to be making enough to for a landlord to take you on. So I think consistently con- you have to be consistent. You have to be that. you have to be consistent exactly. So I think for us we're living in such a shitty time. Yeah. It's the best time to be alive. It's 2018 and in terms of society it's the best time to be alive obviously Mm -hmm. it's the safest time it's the best time it's the most prosperous time but as far as being a millennial it's the worst time to to have to enter the workforce because it seems like everything it's not ruined but everything is like brittle it and everything's uncertain so like like you said our parents were both italian yeah our moms knew super italian super italian our parents knew what was going to happen when they graduated Mm -hmm. you know did their thing there was there were milestones that were achievable that they knew that they could hit within X, Y, and Z like time. buying a house? Buy a house. My God, my parents bought a house when they were, it's like an old, old farmhouse. And they bought it by the time my dad was 32. My mom was 24 or yeah. 25. Like, Ask a 24-year-old if they have a house these days. No, yeah. It's unbelievable. And there's so much uncertainty for, and you're right, it's the best time to be alive, but there's so much uncertainty that it's just, it's, it's it's like it's just really hard like going back when I was 16 I remember what I got was like something in the creative world I'm pretty sure communications came up Mm -hmm. and a teacher came up my parents always wanted me to be a teacher everyone everyone at some point summer you want your summers and you you know your pension dude I don't know teaching I don't want to be a teacher these days well it's funny because uh getting into PR I was like I didn't ever think I was going to get into PR. Like I never, ever in a million years thought I'd get into PR. And, you know, I still have this mentality where I don't know what I want to be where I grew up when I grew up. It's maybe that's not the right, that's not the right phrase. It's, I don't know where I want to be when I grow up. So I don't know if I'm going to stay in PR forever. I don't know if maybe I'll become a doctor later. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll, you know, be a wanderlust kind of a person. But something about, PR that I love is that it's not stagnant and I don't get stuck and bored, which is great. And it allows me to be adaptable. Like I could do something else with this, which is awesome. Um, but there's still that, that terrible like theme of uncertainty in my life that is just, it's, it's almost deafening. Like if it was like a person, it might be the grim reaper or like the grim reapers, like 
twin sister that partied a lot and kind of looks really ugly that makes you feel bad about yourself. That's kind of what I feel like we have this like, oh man, have you seen, have you seen Big Mouth? Big Mouth? Yes. No. Oh my God. Okay. You have to watch it. What is it? Okay. It's so funny. So Big Mouth is basically, as a film person, you need to watch it because I think if it was some, you're going to look at it and you're going to be like, this needs to go into schools. Like this needs to go into schools. Oh, it's one of those kind of things. Oh shit. and, and film students need to analyze it. Yeah. It's, so it's a basically it's on Netflix. It's a cartoon and it's looking at kids in like high school. Yeah. Like just verging. And it has like these <laughs> has like the hormone monsters, which oh. is like these horny little <laughs> monsters that are hairy and gross. But they're just so trying funny. To, just trying to bang everything. <laughs> they're just trying to bang everything. And it, like you're looking at it. You're like, oh, my God, I can totally relate to this kid when mm. I was that age. It's so it's so realistic and it's so funny, but at the same time, it's so hyperbolic, and you're just like, oh my god, like this is so true. But then there's this this shame shadow figure, yeah, shame, and, and that's exactly what it is. Shame. I feel like when you get out of university, you get out of that comfort zone, you get out of the, the certainty yeah. of you know routine and whatever, the shame monster just kind of comes. You have to watch this; you will actually die. I think it's called Big Mouth because they all have big mouths, but it's like <laughs> it's so funny, but it's so true. Like you can kind of relate, like. Yeah, when I was this age, I had a hormone monster. Like, the girls have this, like, awesome, like, sexy woman who's just, like, you know, TMI, like, her period comes. She goes, now you're going to hate your mom and you're just going to be so emotional. Oh, that's funny. And then the guy, (laughs) the the little guys are just, like, they're completely concerned about... Popping boners for no reason. Yeah. (laughs) The old classroom boner. Everyone knows. You guys know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Exactly. fucking weird. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's just so funny. And, like, I was watching it with a couple of my friends and we're all looking at each other being like... They should show this in schools this because true, this would man. make it like a lot more sense because at yeah. that point, it's like at that point, And then when you leave university, the uncertainty happens twice and then it meets as soon as you get out of school and university and all that because you're like, what's going on when I'm, you know, like all these hormones are raging. What's going on? And yeah. then you leave and you're like, oh, my God, what the hell's happening with my life now? It's like, not hormones. It's I think it's just it's just the pressure now. It mounts. There's it starts. so much pressure. But Performance anxiety. Let me ask you this. If. uh like, do you think I tell, you know, there's a few buddies uh, that I have that are feeling the burn a little bit in terms of like I'm, tw- I'm in my 20, late 20s, early yeah. 20s. And like I'm, I'm freaking out. I, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know where I want to go. And I and I think like, do you think that we as millennials in our 20s, do you have we do we have sort of a free decade? You know, you know what I'm saying? It, like it, it almost seems like this decade is the reset button. So you hit 20 and then you have this free, this 10 years just because of how long everything else takes now, Mm -hmm. nowadays, right? To get a house, to, to get set up in your career. It almost seems like this, 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 these 10 years are crucial, but they're also like a reset. Like you get to do sort of again, whatever you want in, in, in that decade to figure out what you want to do going forward. And there's no reason to panic because that's what this decade now is meant for. So, to clarify the the numeric value, do you mean like let's say twenty two to thirty two, like twenty two to thirty four? Let's go. Like what what's the average age of leaving school? Because real life isn't university. Twenty one, twenty two. Okay, so because I I'm, I don't care. We what, were old when we left. Yeah, well, I was twenty five when I was when I graduated. Yeah, because yeah. um, university isn't real life. It's not. No, it's a it's, fucking it's, vacation. It's a microcosm of life. It is like you are. Any university student listening to this, like really love those years because you're going to learn you will you will learn so much about yourself but you have to recognize that you're learning so much about yourself which i think some university students don't realize 
but and similar to your question is this a reset um i think that it could be but because we are so stressed out about getting into a relationship finding the perfect someone finding the perfect job you know living that life of that we see on netflix or whatever Mm -hmm. we don't see it that way so for example i have a girlfriend i have two girlfriends both recently got into relationships one with an ex one come on lady one with a guy from bumble okay okay so two different dynamics yep um and i'm still single Mm -hmm. and i'm older than them okay and every time we go out for dinner i get the question um and and it's not necessarily from them it can be from it can be from them it can be from other people uh they ask me the question are you seeing anyone that is the first question i get fuck that question (laughs) and then i get the question of how's work yeah I can talk about other things, guys. Like clearly I can talk about other things. Dude, yeah, man. But same shit. But they're like stuck in this idea that you gotta do X, Y, and Z or you should be X, Y, and Z. And I'm sitting there being like, okay. Yeah. But I think that's like that's maybe it's a mature thing. Maybe it's because sometimes I act like I'm twelve. I don't know. But like it's me being self reflective, being like, these are not all the elements that make up my life. They're not all the details or other things. Yeah. And I'm okay with not meeting the generic milestone. So I guess there is a way that it's a reset button. Cause for me, I'm very focused on my career right now. I'm mm-hmm. very focused on, you know, finding ways to make myself happy in the smallest ways. Yep. And, um, it, it doesn't have to be through the stereotypical milestones, so to speak. You know what I mean? I think the milestone thing should, should stop coming up in conversations. Yeah. A lot of time. That's why I started this thing. Yeah. I started this podcast because I'm like, I want to talk to someone else. I want to talk to people who I don't want to hear. Like, it's not that I don't want to hear it, but like, okay, I understand you're in a relationship. You have a job, whatever. I want to talk about the shit that you needed to do to get to maybe this point. Yeah. That's different that you don't maybe don't talk to a lot of people about. Yeah. Or maybe it's just something that you never thought of. Like, oh, man, I had to, I had to eat some shit for a while to, to kind of figure it out. And it's it brings into the conversation of where are you at in your life? So like, I feel like those, those questions, you know, are you seeing someone? How's work? Whatever. It's because you're supposed to be at a specific point. But then I realized like I'm at a very different point in my life than a lot of my friends. I have a friend who's an engineer. He's at a different point in his life. We get brunch together on Sundays. It's great. Probably a wonderful time. It's a wonderful time. Getting brunch was is big. It's big. You know, I appreciate it so much more. And then, you know, some of my other girlfriends, they fulfill, you know, a different role at a different step in my life. Yeah. I have a lot of, I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of guy friends. I have a lot of girlfriends and I, I don't believe in the concept of the best friend. Really. I have super close friends and I have one girlfriend who's probably like one of my best friends. Mm-hmm. But I remember talking to some of my girls at work and they're like, you know, you have a lot of like friends. You have a lot of guy friends. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, personally, I don't, I think that you can have a guy friend, whole other conversation, mm-hmm. but <laughs> whole other conversation. But um, they said to me, like, but you call them all your best friends. And I was like, because they all fulfill a different purpose in my life at a different stage in my life yep. at a different point. And I'm OK with acknowledging that I have a lot of close people in my life that I talk to about specific things or specific topics or, you know, do specific things with. Like I do brunch with one of my guy friends on Sundays. Yeah. I go to Hamilton to, I don't know, walk the, the waterfalls with one of my girlfriends every once in a while. Like, you know, yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. I feel like people need to, everyone serves a purpose in your life. Everyone serves yeah. a purpose. And I think that people need to step away 
And yeah, f- yeah, you know what? Find that reset button because like this should be the decade where you're figuring shit out. The best thing I had I had a student come out of our university and he, con- he connected with me because he wanted to do marketing and he wanted to do PR and then he couldn't understand the difference because there's a difference between it. And I said to him, I was like, how are you feeling right now? Yeah. And he was just like, man, I feel so lost. I don't know what to do. I'm like, you are in the right spot then. You are doing everything right. Yeah. And he goes, what do you mean? And I'm like, you don't need to have a relationship. You don't need to you know, have the perfect clothes. You don't need to do all of these things. If you are feeling, feeling lost and concerned and whatever, there are 90% of our age bracket is feeling the exact same more thing. More than that. I think more, more than that. I think like most of us. If you're out there and you're like, no, I got it together and you're in your 20s, fu- no, you don't. No, you don't. You're, you're a fucking really liar. You're really good at hiding. Yeah. Someone's doing your PR yeah. for you. Yeah. Like, yeah. You're like, a liar if you think that you have it together in your 20s yeah. in this in 2018, man. Like, I don't know. It's It's interesting when people say, oh, no, I know exactly what I'm doing because it's – a lot of people get into shit they don't like, mm-hmm. and then at forty they and figure then, it out, yeah, and they and go, they "Fuck, this is bad now." Yeah. One of my biggest things coming out of university was I didn't want to get into a job I didn't like it because film nut over here, you get you get stuck and you get lazy, then you get fat and like, or not, well, you get bigger and like <laughs> it just it becomes it yeah. becomes this thing like you literally you become a couch pair, you get sucked into this weird couch that doesn't want to let you out. And I'm all about the metaphors on this right now. No, it's all, it's fine. It's totally cool. It's resonating. Thank you. It's resonating. Um, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to be that. I don't want to just like, I don't want to get stuck in a relationship. Maybe I don't want to be in like yeah. I- explore your options. It's okay in the next 10 years, I think to explore your options. But if you find an option that you want to stick with, figure out a way to continuously make that option exciting. Whether that's your job, your relationship, you get a dog, get a dog, know. get a wiener dog. Yeah. I always say to people, start a business. If you're, if you're yeah, not, you did it, if, if you have a, a marketable skill and you don't want to fall in that trap of, of doing some horse shit that you don't like, start a business. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, thankfully I work nine to five making videos all day and then I come home and I have my side business in which I make more shit. Yeah. Right. So every, uh, every day is I'm, I'm making something or this fucking podcast. I started this cause this is something else I, I figured out I like doing. This is pretty this is something I enjoy. But if you if you have a marketable skill and you think you can make a run of it, then start start it. Like start doing it. I'm trying to tell this to my sister. I, I tell her, um, you have this skill and you have this product that in her uh, world mm-hmm. it's needed. Yeah. Um she she does stuff for hospitals. It's it's like if it start like start a business. Not only that, it's extra income. And then it keeps your mind occupied. It keeps you working towards something because if you have your nine to five and then you come home and you do something else for another four hours, that's four hours that you've done for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? The the corporate machine doesn't own your life. You shouldn't go there and then come home and do nothing. Yeah. And like I work, my my friends always tell me I'm a bit of a workaholic, which is true. It's fine though. It's your twenties. It's supposed to be, man. It should be okay if you're a workaholic right now. You're establishing yourself. You're you're getting out there. Unfortunately, we still live in a world where like you got to pay your dues, and a lot of corporate places are big old money bags that are like you got to still pay your dues. It's not the young guys that are like, we get it. That's gonna come. That that recycle, you know, that's that's gonna come. And like, it's like you say, like you need to find different ways to do it. So. One of my skills, I'm very good at talking, clearly. I, I'm in PR. I've been at this for an hour. There you go. <laughs> I'm I'm in PR, and I was actually very happy that you asked me to do this because my brother and I were talking about starting a podcast on movies together. You should like, do it. 
and and like just do it yeah and it's fun and there are little things like little side projects that I do like I still edit students papers I still work with athletes in that capacity Mm -hmm. as well and it's literally because it's a me thing I love doing it and I'm okay with doing it and that's mine and people are like but but it's like you're still working and it's like fine that's fine with that I'm, I'm having fun while yeah. I am having fun while I am doing it. Me, I am satisfied and that's yeah. the most important thing. I think too, when you start something that you like doing, it, it it may unintentionally become a business. Yeah. You never know. This is already sponsored. There you I, go. You know, and then I just, it's one of those things where it was like, hmm, I kind of just want to do this because it, I like, it, it'll be fun. I like podcasts. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, why, why not start one? One of, you and you'll you'll love this story. So one of my girlfriends, I met her in PR school. So here's a fun thing about college, I think. College college or university? College. 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 Okay. It's not university where you meet like 55,000 people and, you know, we are all best friends and all that fun stuff. It's not that. No. You, college, everyone is there kind of with, I think, and maybe it's because a lot of them are in postgrad. They have a bit more of a purpose. But you're going to walk out of there with, for me, in my experience, Tops, two to four super close friends that you stick with because they get your industry and everything. One of my girlfriends, she was on point with social media, mm-hmm. our classes in, in media relations. She was, she's a star in PR. Like I, I absolutely love her. She figured out, she worked in an agency. Agency is tough. Wasn't for her. She went in house. Wasn't for her. She gets bored really easily. What she hated about entry level jobs and finding jobs was that there was no concise, easy access source that you could find jobs. There's there's the Kijijis, but you got to sift through things. There's nothing specific to our creative industry, like PR and marketing. It's very hard to find our jobs specifically because there's also a bit of a misconception of what PR is and you know what marketing is. Mm-hmm. Is there a differentiation between them, et cetera? What would you say the difference is between PR and marketing? I'll be completely honest with you. Yeah. It's still hard to say. My best differentiation of it is that PR is literally the mother. It is there from conception to birth mm-hmm. to graduation to the wedding days. Marketing, uh, marketing, I think is marketing is there to help execute the. Pro- it's the doctor in the birthing room. They're hel- They're there to help execute the process. Hmm. Okay. And this, but this is just my experience. It's an interesting mar- way to put it. Yeah. A marketer can probably say it very, probably more eloquently than I do, mm-hmm. and more from from their side of things. I've only worked with one marketing company in PR because I sometimes find that it's true. Our jobs kind of overlap. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's because that's what PR is. PR is supposed to overlap in a lot of areas where marketing is specific to one field or one area. Yep. Um, but what this girl did was that she loved social. She wanted to figure out a way to help students in our specific industry find jobs that would make them realize that this actually is PR or this actually is marketing. She started a Twitter page um, and it literally every single day, she just posts jobs super quick. She has a huge following now and she is move. She's actually some, some big, big agencies are now using her to post their jobs, creative jobs, creative jobs. Whoa. What's yeah. it? What, can you pl- plug it? That's that's at Generation PR. Okay, it's Twitter. Follow her. I tell all my friends wow. who are in sports marketing, who are looking at marketing jobs, who are looking at PR jobs, looking at creative jobs. Like she is just really, really good. Yeah, at finding these jobs and posting them online, and she'll like put a quick handle in there, being like, "Why this job is cool? What you need to do?" Like she's she's very quick. She does it really well, yeah. and like she was able to take something that she was good at, something that she wanted to do, and something that she liked to do. 
and put it all into like one little Twitter page. And now she does freelance work and she's great at things. Like she's honestly really great. She's yeah. very inspiring. I'd like to sit way. down with her too. Actually, Jesus, she's uh, I told her I was coming on to this today and she's like, that's so cool. Yeah. She's like, Can I come? I'm supposed to meet her later. And yeah. she was like, tell her how, how it went. Yeah. And she was just like, I'm going to listen in. And I sent her a screen grab of the starving artist good. and she wrote back. She's like, huh? awesome title it's <laughs> like yeah it's good stuff she would love to come on yeah but and maybe you know what it would be interesting she could probably because she's worked with a lot of marketing companies i think man i wish i could answer that question to be honest with you because i feel like our jobs just like really they really do intersect and i don't want to like discredit anything yeah I, just ha- I don't have the experience working with a lot of them but like i know that pr skills are very transferable into to a that lot industry. of other things yeah yeah and I know that marketing, they can transition, but to what I understand from older PR professionals, not as well as PR, PR. people can. But that could be that could be an ego thing. PR people are very good. I feel yeah, PR yeah. You guys are fucking some of the shit that I see, man. I you guys are you guys like I said, you guys are the are the are the you guys the, clean some shit up, or you guys have it's to. It's the frame Wizard it. of Oz. Yeah, we are, we are the people in Oz. We are behind the curtain. Yeah, man. Which is one of the things like people ask me, why did you get into PR? And for the longest time, and we've talked about this, I wanted to do pr- to production yeah. as well. And to be brutally honest, I didn't want to go through the process of doing the whole resume and then your cover letter and then the art behind it. Like I didn't want to do <sighs> all the all editing for too. it. Fuck the resume. Exactly. Resume's dead, man. I didn't want to. I didn't want to do it. And it's, so, and then I realized it's portfolio now. That's yeah, it. It's portfolio. It's now. just your portfolio. Yeah. And I didn't at the time. I didn't want to do that. That and the resume. I just didn't want to do all of it. And then progressively, when I took more of film studies classes, I realized I didn't want to be that close to the camera. I mm-hmm. wanted to be further behind the camera. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do all that cool stuff where you work with all those people. Like and a producer, really. Yeah, I wanted day, to be yeah. a producer. And then excuse me, and then just like kind of it kind of just transitioned into being PR because I was able to work in the entertainment industry, work in the creative industry and be so far behind the curtain and kind of be the mastermind behind everything. And I love that. I love being at being the mastermind behind certain things. And nobody knows that you're there because I don't I don't I'm okay with not having all the credit or not doing certain things. Like Yeah. But you want to be a part of it though. That's that's the thing, right? It it was funny because um I worked Boots and Hearts Music Festival. Mm -hmm. I saw that. Yeah, you did. yeah. Yeah. It was so much fun. Country artists are some of the most humble artists that I've ever worked with. I don't know if it's like small beginnings or yeah. like that kind of thing, but they're, they were, they were just so humble. I had, um, I had one artist actually bring us coffee and Timbits one morning. Cause like we worked in the media compound, so they all had to come through there. Super, super great guys. And they let us off early one day to go see, um, the big Blake Shelton concert. And I had been working with all these different media and I had all of them come up to me during the day being like, oh my God, thank you so much for being so nice and all this kind of stuff. And where me and my buddy stood, he's like, let's go, let's go like right into the pit. And I was like, no man, like we got to stay out of there. Like just, let's just enjoy this. And literally we got to sit. So there's like a hill at Burles Creek that leads into the pit area. And we stood at the the top of the hill and kind of looked down it was like a very cinematic moment I guess but we got to see like almost like an aerial view of what we were a part of and it was so surreal and oh it was cool so cool like yeah. the lights and where the media were and where all the like the people were just enjoying this and it was just so great and like even artists you could just there is like such a different vibe and yep. like such a like a feeling that you get to, when you're sitting there and you're like yeah 
I helped make all this happen. You made it. You made a turn, man. You were a mastermind behind that. It well, it wasn't a mastermind. I I, I supported on media. You were a cog. You were yeah. You were yeah. You were a cog in the this. wheel, and, yeah. and the wheel turned, and it made everything kind of go round. And it was it was a lot of fun, and it was such a different feeling. Yeah. And it's like it's an adrenaline rush, man. Like if you talk to any kind of PR professional, like. It is an adrenaline rush when you get to do some of the stuff that we get to do. Like, what do you use the film side for then? Because, I mean, <laughs> the English side... You've, it makes sense. It, yeah, the English side makes sense now because you need to have a command of the English language, yeah. right? The film side, I'm still not seeing it, though. Um, it's the it's the type of thinking, and this is, again, something Marco brought up. Oh, I just want to talk to him. Mar- I'm like, Marco's I feel a like smart guy. He's a smart guy. Marco's a super smart guy, yeah. Um, so... It's 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 the way of thinking that we were taught in that class. So I remember there in that class in that in that degree. So remember there was a class. I think it was film, television, and society. We were watching a specific one. Uh, I think it was probably Ex Machina because I remember watching that <laughs> that fucking thing. Probably, <laughs> and it was like one of those things where they stop. It was like our exam, and it they stop the clip, okay. and they're like analyze the clip. Tell me what the props mean, where the lighting is, all that. Kind. Yeah. So it's looking at it in such a different lens Mm -hmm. and I am able to do that in PR so I'm able to take that creativity of like you know how to look at a uh, how to look at a creative asset and how to make it pretty Mm -hmm. and give my feedback to the creative people on how to create that I'm able to take that and I can apply it and say this is how I envision something now I just need somebody to apply it and do it for Mm -hmm. me but I'm also able to take the lens of what people want to see in that creativity and apply it to my to my campaigns and how we do them and you know how we um, how we how we structure things like we're working with a health client right now and this health client has like a really a really dope campaign that we're coming out with I'm super pumped about it all right all right I'm super pumped about it okay and literally I'm able to I'm what we what we're doing for it is we're we're playing off of a pun which is gonna be a lot of fun <laughs> we're gonna do I think we're gonna do a bit of a gorilla thing on it okay but. What what they were sitting in this brainstorm and nobody we're all kind of stumped. We're like, well, how far can we push this? It's mm-hmm. one of those health clients. It's a condom client, to be honest. Okay. It's like, how far do we push oh, this? Oh, dude. Yeah. It's how far Ooh, do you push this? Yeah. But that could be a lot of fun, though, man. That's yeah. my favorite kind of project is ones that yeah. you can sort of like really. You, like, how far do you push? The how far can pedal? you go? Like, yeah. How far, how can, far you go? can you go with it? Yeah. And we're sitting there and like me and my manager have a good relationship. And. I started laughing at something. I was like, picture this. Yep. And I literally <laughs> painted this scene and he looked at me and I looked at him. He goes, roll with it. Let's go. Let's keep Let's going. Do it. Let's keep yeah, going. Yeah, yeah. And it was one of those creative like brainstorms. Yeah. that actually kind of turned into like, if you want to picture like a set or like a, sc- a script reading, it kind of turned into that. Like we all started kind of playing yeah. parts. Yeah. It just, it gives me a different way of how to see things and what people, because people are visually stimulated, obviously. Yeah. We all know this. Video is huge these days. Video is huge. Huge, yeah. And everything that we do in PR, we have to bring it back to social and video. Like, yeah. How do we take our strategy, our tactics, and make sure that people have those Instagrammable moments or, you know, that they have the opportunity to capture it, keep it, and say, yeah, I was fucking there. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And that's where this is where film comes in. This is where that kind of thinking, that visualization, looking at how we play with the lights. Like, oh, man, if it comes to life, 
you're invited. Have <laughs> I it. hope oh, so. You're going to love it. I hope like, so. I've, I've been trying to get Mike to work with my company and other PR yeah, agencies yeah. for like months now. I've passed around all of this. It stuff. hasn't happened yet. So I wonder if <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm trying. I wonder right now. if I'm not the fucking right fit. Well, Vic. it's funny because uh, one of the clients that I wanted you to work on with, yeah. me, I had like such this visual story. I'm like, Mike's the only one that's going to get me. I don't yeah, have yeah, to yeah. say that much. and He's going to get it. And I showed one of my favorite pieces that you did. I showed it to my manager and he goes, Okay, get me all the quotes. Yeah, get me put it to the client. Then the client came back to us, and I, I am going to tell you this on air. And they go, "Okay, so we we can't, we're not going to go forward with this this video project anymore." And my manager came up to me, and he looked at me. He goes, "Vic, I have something to tell you." And I looked at him I'm like the client said no. The client said no. The client said no to my friend, and he they're like, "No." The client just said no to the video project. I was like, "Oh, what? What, what do you mean? Like the I, whole project? The whole project is like they're like, we don't have the budget. We can't do it. Whatever." Oh, and I then he's I like, have adjusted. I know. And I was just like, I'm like, <laughs> Dude, you don't understand. He could, he could have adjusted. Like we could yeah. have worked with this. And he's just like, they just, they don't think like the video asset is for right now. And I said, well, yo, anyone who ever said, fuck man, anyone who ever says the video is not important for right what, now. What the I fuck? That. What the fuck do you think people are watching? You think people give a shit about your fucking news release? No one gives a shit. No one gives a shit. And it's just, it's, no one gives a shit. And it's just, <laughs> it was one of those moments where I was like trying so hard. I'm like, we could pull something so beautiful. Yeah. For this. We could tell such a great story with this. I and wonder he's just like, I know he's like, I know we can. And he's like, we're going to circle back on it. He's like, we're going to come back to them in 2019 because we're doing this whole other project with yeah. them. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to play hard to get with them then. Do it. Like, I don't understand. Not actually. I don't, I don't understand what it is with like not wanting to do video. If you're not wanting to do video. And it, sometimes, and I think what it is, is like sometimes clients just don't understand. The power of it. The power of it. The merit of it. Yeah. Because I think what they... Clients sometimes get stuck in the fact that the video is probably an advertisement they're going to see a commercial of. And I was like, you know what? If you want to take. Though. You're going to see a narrative. You're going to see something. People are too smart these days to look at a commercial. Like, how annoying oh, is know. it when a commercial comes on? Commercials suck, man, because it's like it's so blatantly obvious that they're yeah. trying to sell you some shit. There's so many different ways to do this. And the, the way that commercials are being made, it's changing now. And it's not even a commercial anymore, it's a, it's a mini. N movie you're making these days right it is it's a mini movie it's funny because you know i work on the like social side of my clients and there are posts that are actually like basically advertisements yeah. like that's how far you can take them is to put those ads on social media yeah. obviously yeah, yeah. Yep. it's very targeted like obviously i know the whole background of it yeah but i'm like you could take this video and do something so great and i think that's also a thing with like my film degree is like i still have that passion for video and like making things cinematic and cool and making yeah. taking my consumers and my my target audience to a whole other place and you're in a you're in it at a good time right yeah. now man yeah yeah so it's just a, it's just a whole different lens. I was actually really bummed that they didn't want to move forward with the Me video. Me too. Now because we had like a really cool storyboard idea where like we would get such a different aspect yeah. into this, and my my manager is just like, we'll 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 try. Like, don't worry. I'm like, we'll well, try that's it again. Fine. I'm just sending his resume all over the place. So yeah. So whatever. Nice. Shop me around, dude. Yeah. Pimp me out, man. <laughs> that's crazy that they just said no to the whole uh, the whole project. Literally, I've had clients that do that. They they have the, we have this really great idea. We spend like. We, I had this one strategic plan that I was a part of. It took us 20 hours to build out. 20 hours. That's a lot. That's a lot That's of a time. Lot. Yeah. For them to come back to us, review, and say, we're actually not moving forward with this in 2019. And it's like, well, what did I do with all my time? Yeah, man. You're not going to, yeah. Well, the, the quote that I gave you, the like the price wise, that came from someone that I know that does this 
on a, on a commercial and, scale. And, and this is what I said. And it's funny because, you know, the clients, they all expect to kind of, I think clients sometimes expect to get things a little bit cheaper, especially with their, like a name brand or whatever, yeah. but they don't realize. And this is something that PR people, we do this for you, creative people. <laughs> uh, we, we fight for them to understand that we fight that this is your job. This is their living. Like we have, we work with influencers, your YouTube personalities, your Instagrammers, and they give us their rate cards and yeah. it's expensive. And they're like, they come back to us being like, why are they that expensive? I had, a, I had an influence we worked with who for a three minute video wanted 10 grand. And are they, they acting it? Are they making it or acting in it? That we would send them the product yeah. and they would make a video out of it. We just need to review it and give it the takes okay. Work, but do people it understand how, how much work a video fucking takes to make? That's yeah. the problem is not anyone, not a lot of people get, how long something good takes. takes. And I think that's another, like that's another aspect of the degree that comes in yeah. with us is that we understand how much it takes. So like w- the client came back to us and said, that's really expensive. Can we negotiate it? Obviously we can negotiate yeah. it. But I had to jump on a call with them and be like, you don't understand how much time a three minute video that's a takes lot of to time. edit. You have to probably take like two or three hours worth of film. You got to go dude, through it. A you three minute go video. Dude, a three minute video. How is much gonna- it take for you? If I'm making a three-minute video, three-minute video, I'm yeah. shooting for like 12 hours, 15 hours you need, you to get three minutes. Yeah. I, I always say for one minute of edited video, it takes eight hours to edit. Yeah. To edit. That's not even to shoot it. Yeah. You need a one-minute solid video. Like I just made one for a soccer company, and we did it. I did it pro bono because they're nice dudes, and they're a startup, and I'm, I'm all down for uh, mm-hmm. I'm cool with doing free shit. And it took us, I think, four or five hours to make a one. And I didn't even, I still didn't even have enough coverage. So a lot of the shots were a little longer than I yeah. wanted it to be. But when you try to break down to people, hey, man, like, that, oh, it's going to take you that long. It's like, man, do you understand how fucking long it takes to do something like this? And that's the thing. They don't, like, creative people, we're creative because, like, we just, we have a different way of thinking. And, like, sometimes clients just don't seem to understand that. At least that's my experience with it. Even, like... Sometimes they don't care either, man. They don't care. They just want the end result. Like, yeah. I, oh man, I was like running around trying to figure out a quote for a printer and I had no direction from the client. And they're like, well, we just want your recommendation. I can't give you a recommendation unless you tell me what you're looking for. And the printer can't tell me anything unless yeah. I get something from you. And I felt so bad for this guy because I was yeah. like, I'm trying really hard, man. He goes, and he was so cool about it. And he was just like, okay, let's, let's play the scene. Let's do it. He's like, so what do they want? And I was like, well, they want X, Y, and Z. They want this print to be like here. It's going to go across all 10 provinces, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, okay, so here's what I can do. And he, and based on what limited information I can give him, he was able to give me a quote. And I think that's something that's really cool about creative people is that, or when I say creative people that can span in various job fields, whatever, but you can give them like a teeny tiny thing and they can blow it out for you mm-hmm. like nobody's business. Yeah. To, to quote like a Disney movie, it's like Bugs Life where she's like, Percent, pretend it's a, a seed, okay? And like, yeah. and it was a rock. And it's like, yeah, fair do. Good point there. Yeah. Like yeah. that's what, that's kind of what it's like. Well, I had a, I don't know if you listen to the Sean O'Neill podcast. He's a like a commercial cinematographer. And he's, he's fucking, he like, he works with Reds. He's more legit than, than I could ever imagine to be right now. And he uh, was telling me about a, a shoot he did for, I think it was 800 bucks. And then at the end of the day, he ended up just getting, he ended up paying himself 12, $12. Yeah. That was, and it just, he's like, fuck, I'll, I guess I'll pocket it, the 12 bucks. But like for, for people to understand what it takes, like, remember too, like we're working with gear. 
Then we have to shoot it, which is going to take rent. some time. Then you, sometimes you re- I rent all the time now. Yeah. I love renting because it's like, you know what? I don't, I don't right now like to have a four or $5,000 lens. I might as well just rent it. I'm not going to use it all. You know, I'm not using it every mm-hmm. day. Um, and then, you know, to have him say, yeah, I did a shoot. It was 800 bucks. I pocketed 12. It's just, it, 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 you're like, people just don't get how crazy the time it takes to make anything. And if you look at a movie or if you look at a commercial, dude, movies take fucking 12, like sometimes a year to make. Sometimes even more than that. Look at the Lord of the Rings series. That's a movie. Yeah. And, and you're asking someone, oh, that, you know, or whatever, two, three grand. That's expensive. It's like, what do we, what do you expect? What and do you it, want for $3,000, man? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different elements that take into it. And like, it's your livelihood. Like, you know, as a side There's gig, no I, vacation days. Yeah. No health insurance. If, if I fall down running, you know, if I fell down during this shoot, fucking chasing this guy with the soccer ball down the field, guess That's what? You. Mike's fucking out. I yeah. have equipment insurance and I do have basic insurance through uh, okay. my company, but you're out. Yeah. You're done. You break your leg. That's it, dude. Like that's it. You're done. You're and done like, for six months. And it's it, it's your livelihood. Like we've I've had conversations with clients where I've literally said, it's your livelihood. And like, you know, doing like editing, for example, for a side gig. Yeah. Um, professors can start at like I had one master student that I was working with, and he said that a professor was going to edit his paper, fifty bucks per word. That is huge. For a thesis paper, that was huge. And I was like, that's abs- like, that's absurd. 50 There's bucks a word? 50 bucks a word. Why 50 bucks a word? They make, they're make they making side off of it, right? Like, And I was like, that's that's kind of absurd. And then he had gone to like another writing tutor and it was like 20 bucks a page. Oh. I was like, I'm going to give you... I'm How I work with my editing is I ask them to send me their work. I will read it over once. I will give you an estimate of how long it is going to take me to edit. Yeah. What I see is like immediate that I have to fix. So it's like grammar, format, whatever. And then I'm going to give you a rate for what it is. And then as soon as you come back to me and you say, I need a second edit, I need you to look at it again, we'll dis- we'll negotiate. And the yeah. reason I do it is because they need help. They want to get ahead in their lives. This is my side thing. And I understand it. Like at a university, it's it's very expensive. And some t- I remember at our university, it was you go to this building, they give you one hour it's unpaid, but they only looked at like one page. That doesn't help anybody. That doesn't no, yeah. help me understand what I need to do better. So I had this one kid. I worked for him with him for five years writing with him. And every time he would send me a paper the day before, and you remember working with the football team. I hated it when I got them like an hour, well, two knuckleheads. hours. The knuckleheads. Like it's just, it was just so annoying It's not for insulting. Me. Everyone knows they're fucking knuckleheads, whatever. But I mean, I could turn it around quick for them and yeah. they loved me for it. But this guy always came back to me and he's like, oh, the deadline's in four hours. The yeah. deadline is Good, in yeah. whatever, like a day. That's not fair to me. Fucking bullshit. <laughs> it's not fair to me. So I'd be like, okay, so for example, five page papers, 25 bucks. He got so mad at me for charging him that. And I'm like, buddy, you're lucky that I'm not putting like a premium on this. I think that's the right term. Yep. Because you're asking me to turn it around in less than an hour and I have to work full time. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. You don't get to get mad at me because this is a lot cheaper than what you would get. What you would get. What you would get. And then I asked him, I was like, so let me ask you, have you like, what's what's the grade that you always seem to get or like the average yeah. when I edit your work? He goes, I've never dropped below an 80. One, that was like amazing for my ego. Boom. But like two, I was like, you've never dropped below an 80 and you're arguing with me. I'm like, you're questioning basically my integrity. I'm like, no, no, no. And then he's like, well, what if you only edit one paper, like like one page of it? And I was like, well, you have my old papers that I've edited for you already. Just take that and do it for free. Yeah. 
And he didn't like that answer. I'm like, but at the same time, you're wasting my time. And that's not fair. Like at that point it was like, it's a side hustle, but it's part of my livelihood. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't get the side hustle, man. They want to, uh, I always say that when it comes to film or when it comes to things that you're not, you're not giving someone a, a product. I have a friend who wood burns and she made this incredible, like she made it for her uncle, but she made this crazy, like it's probably the size, I don't know. I'm going to say three by three. Okay. Okay. Wood, wood burning. And, uh, I said, if I wanted that exact one, because she made it for her uncle because it's specific to him, but it was just so cool and it was all his tattoos. Ooh. But the way that she made it, I'm like, I kind of want that yeah. for myself. I said, how much would it cost? I think she said, like, I don't know. It was in the thousands. Mm-hmm. I think it was like 1200 But I was like, I understand why. Yeah. I, it, that's not like, I know I'm, I've been your friend for a long time, but I understand why that's $1,200 or whatever it was, because that probably took you fucking forever to do. And it's this thing that I'm getting. It's tangible. It's a tangible piece of of product that I can hang on a wall. You you tell someone a three minute edit and it's going to cost you two grand. They lose their fucking mind because to them that's it's three it's, minutes. Well, not, not not only that, I always I think anyway. I could be I could be wrong, but a, a theory that I have is that because you're not giving someone a product, you're not saying here is a piece of wood. Here is this artwork like here here's a th- here you're not giving them a thing that you mm-hmm. can touch and it's not tactile you can, you're giving them this abstract especially with social media now that you throw it on social media and then it becomes something right yeah because you're doing that i think people don't there's a di- there's a disconnect between the product that they're getting and what they're paying for it because yeah. i you, they don't under it's not you can't have it you know what i mean like yeah. it's, i'm trying to describe it but I, i'm not doing it well but it's not something you can hang and look at. It's not something you can use. It's this thing that you're putting online and then it might work out for your business or it might not. Yep. So they, they, they don't quite understand the price point. When for me, I go, no, dude, uh, I shot for two days. Uh, I had to use my own gear. I had to rent you a $3,000 lens. That cost me 300 bucks for the weekend. Now I'm bringing it back and putting it on my computer, on my space. Mm-hmm. This is my hard drive I'm using. I'm taking that and I'm working it in Premiere, which is a program that I pay for monthly. And then on top of that, I'm going to spend probably about six hours a day doing it. It's a three-minute edit. I say eight hours for every one minute. That's 24 hours. I also work full time. It's a lot. Where's this time? time. Homie, where's this this time coming from? And people don't understand. In, In PR, we bill our time. So it's like, did you bill your time? And like, clients don't and anybody who's outside of PR probably doesn't understand how much time things take like my dad always says um you know I always had this saying there's a difference between rich and wealthy people and my dad and I were once talking about it and he goes you want to know the difference between like a big difference between rich and wealthy people Mm -hmm. and one of those things so I have a, a I have an idea of it and his thing is wealthy people understand the concept of time yeah. And he's like, because once they lose it, they don't get it back. So they're not going to waste it. It's a non-renewable resource. man. Exactly. And like a lot of people think that like 24 hours doesn't apply. But like, man, it really does. You got to understand that kind of stuff that it takes a really long time. It takes a really to long time. To make something time. good. To make something good. And, like, I, always, and I always like, I, I feel like too, sometimes some some point in their life, they may be asked someone to do it and they gave it to them in a day yeah and they went oh shit it doesn't take that long but then you go well let me let me look at it and it's a it's a turd yeah you're looking at a turd 
Yeah. And they don't know it because they're just like, it's a product that I paid for and I don't I really got it back from quick turnaround. I got it back quick. It sucks. And you and you and you look at them and you and you say, okay, you, you, you clearly don't understand the time and, and the nuances it takes to make something like this. Not only that, it costs me money. I have to buy stock footage for you sometimes. I'm using programs that cost me money. Groceries. You're probably hungry through this whole I'm thing. I'm probably eating, maybe, yeah. through it. I'm probably a couple pints, maybe. Maybe. Right? A little little creative inspiration. Exactly. A little liquid inspiration. Uh, but there's things that go into it. And a lot of people don't get it. And I find it the most when I have to fucking quote someone on a wedding. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Because yeah. I have a buddy who does weddings. And like that stuff... Like, man, I don't know how you deal with bridezillas if you have them. I, I don't do it in Toronto. That's why. I don't. So uh, how do you quote that? Like, what do you do? Well, where I'm from, um, all of, you know, there's only two video guys in town. So I just look at their stuff. Yeah. And I make my pricing around that. But because it's such a small place, what ends up happening is if you give someone a low quote, Oh, it gets around. It gets around. And it's all Italian. And we're all fucking Italian up there. So you know everyone's talking to each other. It was funny. Somebody said to me that Italians are cheap. I'm like, we're not cheap. We just don't like spending our money. I I think like older generations, they just don't like spending their money. So you have to justify to this person that... Why it costs that much. You don't even know, really. Most of the time, I don't even know them. They just heard from a friend of a friend. Who heard from the aunt and the uncle. Who heard from the Zia and the Zio and, and, you know, and, and... and then you have to explain to them, hey, man, like th- this is the price. And if you look at the other prices, it's not that far off of what it is. It's just like I'm, you know, I'm coming from far away. Uh, I've been doing this for a really long time. You're paying for my time. You're paying for the expertise yeah. of doing it. But I understand that people say, fuck that. I don't care. I just want something. It's like, okay, I, I get where you're coming from, but I'm the one doing it, dude. So I'm the one that has to put in the time to make yeah. this thing right. Then the problem comes if you undercharge and they don't like it, now you're not making enough, mm-hmm. and now they hate it. So you're getting a bad rep, and you're getting no money. Do you have to face, because, like, again, Italians, do you ever have to face, like, the parents about it? Like, in the sense, like, your parents being like, yeah. oh, Michael, why, why don't you give him a this? You know what I mean? No. That was a very not, bad uh, Italian accent. <laughs> yeah, that was terrible, man. <laughs> Thank you. Um, no, not really. Are the they parents, pretty, like, good about it? Yeah, I don't deal with any of the... Um, have I dealt with any old-school parents? I haven't dealt with any old-school parents. In regards to this stuff, it's usually just us, the brides. It's usually just me and the bride, or me and the bride and groom. It's rarely the whole uh, family. Rarely a whole family. That's pretty good. Yeah, I don't. I I try not to do that either because it's everybody wants. They all have an idea. Everyone has an say. idea. Yeah, everyone has an idea, and when you break it down and you go, you know what? We're I'm just gonna do it the way I usually do it because that's why you hired me. Yeah. Because you like the way I do it. I really don't want to. I mean, not to be rude but i i know what i'm doing i don't really need a eight people telling me how to do it you can tell me what to what to catch yeah okay but don't tell me how exactly right you can tell me what you can tell you can tell me what you can tell me how but you can't tell me both yeah so that's really the only way i deal with it but most of the time it's just brides and all the brides i've dealt with so far have been pretty good there's been a couple down here that i don't that's the reason why i don't do it down here because it's it, it, the expectation is far beyond what i can deliver yeah and i feel like um it's, it's just like a different there you know the, like the country mouse city mouse it's like it's a like a simple mentality yeah and then like the big grandeur i find and and again this is like even a client thing my depends on like where almost my clients are from some of them are just really simple and yep. they're like i just have a simple idea i just want it executed they're really great to work with yep. others are like 
they just have these big ideas and think that it can all happen within this one little like bucket of you know budget or information that they give you and it's like no no, no. and then they don't like what they get and then they have to be involved the whole way yeah and then, and it's like, yeah yeah i find actually it's not really a, a for for the wedding thing it's more just the people down here have more money to spend so they're oh, more that. willing to give you like I can make ten, I can make seven to ten thousand dollars a wedding, no problem. But so they're not stingy in the city. No, 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 no. It's really? not stingy, dude. They're down to fucking throw it at you. Wow. See, I wouldn't. I didn't. No, expect no, no. That. They'll give you. They'll give you anything you want, but 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 they have a lot of say in how it's made. Which comes with the big pockets. Which comes with the big pockets. They're paying you eight grand. They're gonna tell you exactly how to do it, what to do it. I want the drone here. I want the you know all that kind of stuff. Where I'm from, yeah, I charge less, but it's uh, there's more freedom. Uh, everyone yeah. that I've I've dealt with up there goes, yeah, do do you? That's why I'm hiring you to do you. To you capture do the things that we're not seeing at the time. Yeah, just get get mom smiling, get get mom and dad dancing, get my first day. That's it. Like they give me the content that I need to capture, and I go, that's fine, no problem. But they don't tell me how to do it. Down here, they tell you how to do it, who to get, everything. And yeah. and I had an experience. And I didn't like it, so I went, okay, after this one, no more. I'm not doing any more, no more GTA weddings. That's it. I'm good. I'm A-OK. I'm hanging it up. Only up there now. If you could shoot anything, what would you want to shoot? Like, what's like that, like, that Oh, sports. Thing? I would want to, uh, I'd probably want to do something football related. 100%, not probably, 100% I want to do something football related. But I don't I don't know if I want to do, I'd probably want to do the same sort of series I did for... Our, cool. Yeah, but see, we only we have the CFL here. And I don't know if there's enough of an audience for it to, to take off like I wanted to. I'd want to make it the same way, but the problem is, is when you're dealing with collegiate sport and you're dealing with pro sport, it's there's a difference in how you can approach how each come? one. How, how do you approach each one? Well, in university, things are a lot more like fun and dynamic and you're selling something mm-hmm. where in pro sports it's sort of just the maintaining of the brand that's true and and building the audience a wider audience and building maybe a wider audience but in university you can do a lot more fun creative things you can get the personality of the like you did a really great job at bringing the personality of the players and i, see, I don't think i friends. did i don't think i did so because i'm really I th- critical of your work well maybe but i also think that 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 the series was created to be flashy and fun and in your face and like come come to the school because it's it's well no other school had it that that too no other school had it like you did a really great job at making sure that our athletics program was like bomb diggity like sure no no other university had that and they still don't and and they which is cool (laughs) (laughs) i'm glad i made something fucking so far above it but 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 in the pro game, you have to make it sort of towards that brand because the universities don't really have a brand for their sports team. I was allowed to make whatever I wanted because they didn't have an identity. No yeah. real no real pro like no program really has an identity other than like the tradition. Whereas in pro sports, you have to be very careful because it's a brand that you're not. And you have your key messaging and like all that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, I used a lot of Eminem. In in the university series, you did, yeah, you did. I'm a big fan of Eminem. What do you be- think of his new album? What Kamikaze? Yeah, fucking dope. My buddy called me from Australia and said, "Hey, FYI, he just dropped a new album." That's so cool. And I was like, "Dude, what the fuck?" And he, lo and behold, iTunes had it, downloaded it all. 
Can I say so the the album that came out right before Kamikaze? Yeah, it was the funniest thing. I found out that it was gonna drop, and I was like, man, wouldn't be so cool if he did something with Ed Sheeran. I have such a crush on Ed Sheeran. If he ever, I think everyone has the, a, everyone has a crush on Ed Sheeran. If he ever listens to this podcast, he might. I he I might. would be like, I'd, oh my god, but like, I, and then I found out that they did like a song together. Yeah. I was at work when it happened. I got so pumped. I ran to the other side of the office where my buddy was sitting because he was also listening to it. I'm like, yeah. it's happening. It's happening. It's happening like, I didn't know what to do. I didn't listen to it yet yeah. because I got so excited for it. Like, really great. I'm, Sorry, I'll, no, no. I'll always like, my buddies make fun of me because it's whatever Eminem puts out, I'm going to like. Unfortunately, <laughs> that's just how it is, man. I like Eminem. Same here. I love him to death. And whatever he puts out, I'm going to like. Even if it's not that good, I'm still going to go, well, you he, know. He's still like one of those guys that you want to like bob your head to. You yeah. Enjoy, you I don't think he's good. the I don't think he's the best anymore. And I'm not going to be one of those guys that says Eminem is the best MC ever. Because but he's I th- still good. But I think he's, I mean, whatever, he he's still my number one. I, I'm I'm smart enough to, to go, uh, you know, there's people better than him now maybe. Or there's, you know, people more, uh, more prevalent. Yeah. But... I'll listen to fucking anything he puts out and I'll probably give it a positive review. And honestly, going back to going back to how you used him a lot in in your filming, he made it really like music has such a great place. Music is music is more I think music is more uh, uh, important when you're making something like that than the visuals. It, it, it sets funny. the tone, man. It does. If you it's I don't do well with scary movies. You turn off the volume. I'm like I'm like the best at scary movies because yeah. I don't. It doesn't matter. There's no suspense. There's no nothing. But like, turn that on and you get that like that just that feeling of what music it's is. Dread. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's dread. What I wanted to the soundtrack for that for the football thing was just I wanted to make it like. First of all, when I first did it, I'm kind of like I want to make I want to put music in that no one's ever heard in something like this, because it's always like football stuff. It's always this orchestral like uplifting. Remember the Titans? Yeah, like it's this uplifting thing. It's and that's all instrumental. That's cool too. But at the end of the day, it's like I want to make stuff for the guys, who, like the linemen who are out there and getting getting their fucking head kicked in. And it's gritty. It's gr- Football's yeah. a gritty, greasy, grimy, violent game. They teach you to, there's a, there's a phrase in, in coaching when they talk to linemen and it's be violent. And Really? Yeah. Be oh, violent. Man. Be violent with your hands. Especially D-linemen. Be violent. And... It's like I want to capture that on film because that's it's not soft. I hate when people make soft shit. You know what was really good? It was one of my favorite things. I don't know if I told you this actually. You captured the sounds of the hits really, really good. Did I? You did. Okay. Because like you can he- like when you're when you're watching the game mm-hmm. at university, not at the professional level, but yep. you can hear how they hit. It's just like a it's like a it's, it's a whack isn't even the right term, but like or it doesn't it doesn't capture it enough. But you. If you guys want to watch third and goal, you should watch third and goal. Third and goal. Because it, it you captured what they sound like. And I get it now when you say like be violent because you did such a good job at capturing the sound. Okay. Yeah. Of what it was. Actually, there's a really funny story okay. about Mike and I. I was a ball girl one year. Do you remember this? Mm, this might have been a long time ago. So I worked a lot of jobs at our university and one of them was a ball girl. So I stood on the sidelines okay. and I had to run out mm-hmm. and get the ball. And your football team was very protective over me at one point. Oh, okay. Because well, you were the tutor, man. You were helping nothing. I, I was helping. You them. were helping all these fucking guys. So but it was the funny thing was that I would like run out and be like, "Oh, it's it's like so hot. Like yeah. I don't know how these guys do it." Make you want some water? Make you want so, water? So Mike would actually like be like, "Here, have some water." And then at one point, I was like looking at the game, and you came up to me and you're like, 
you look really confused. I'm like, I don't know what's happening right yeah. now. Like, I don't know what's. And you, you actually explain the game. I completely forget it now. Mm-hmm. But you explained the game so well to me. And then one of the coaches came up to me. He's like, hey, do you get the game? And I'm like, yeah, Mike was like explaining it to me. It's really like, this is so intense. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. It's, and, and football's fucked, man. Football's yeah. an intense game. It's violent. It is. I got a good sense of that <laughs> on the sidelines. Football is football's football's a violent game, and that's why I wanted to make shit that that I wanted to make stuff that you know reflected that. Not yeah. so, but but in university you can do that because there was no identity really, no school really. I mean, as far as media goes, and I don't even think it's that big of a deal in university, but no one attacks it like that in the pros like i said you have so to different. you have to upkeep a brand and and it has to be family friendly and all mm-hmm. this and, it, and it, it's also the networks you're not uh, the networks that they're on are have a, a brand that has to be exactly upheld yeah. as well you, you can't make anything too too extra extra or, or too out there yeah it's uh to go off your point universities have air quotes a brand yeah but their sports have a mascot yeah almost like yeah. that's and that's where like I think all universities have this, um, and our university in particular, they have an identity crisis. They're all trying to prove that they are the best school to go to, mm-hmm. but none of them have the identity or personality that you, you kind of want to date or be in a relationship with for four years. You know what it's, I, mean? I mean, I think that's Canada in general. There are good schools like Western. You go to Western, you know what you're getting. Oh, yeah. You know, you go to... Uh, or U of T. Or U of T. Uh, I, I think UFC is like a it's yeah. a hit and a miss. You know like, what programs you're getting at? Yeah, like Western, Guelph, Queens. You know what you're getting. Mm-hmm. Our school, no identity. A lot of other schools, no identity. The, this university does this series for their football team. It's kind of cool. And then you do it, and you're like, oh shit, that's the school that does the uh, that does the the cool thing. Yeah. And then you know you do that for a couple years. See, I found that like working in student recruitment, I found that our school. You're right. It and we were actually told this, it had a bit of an identity crisis because we're... Big time. Not a bit. A lot. Because we were... It's all competition and we were trying to... Wait, I gotta pee again. (laughs) Sorry, I just had to take a pee break, everyone, but um, I just told Vic that uh, usually around this time, we've been at it for an hour and 47 minutes. Usually everyone's a little too drunk and and whatever happens going forward is just nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had a guy... I had Sean here, Sean O'Neill, and... We did that. We did it for three and a half hours. Oh. And he, like, by the end of it, he got in the Uber. And then I came home and the next morning. I texted him. I was like, dude, do you remember what, what the fuck we talked about? And I was like, he's like, no. So I brought it up. I, like, I, I, I listened to it. Just like the most sloppy, incoherent nonsense you can think of. And I was like, dude, this is all getting cut out. Like, the, the, the podcast was three and a half hours. I only used an hour and 20 just because it was just so fucking left field like i love that nuts that's funny um identity crisis so our school definitely had an identity crisis a big one yeah a big one and that's why when it came down to like me and my senior recruitment for example you know parents would say it kids would say it whatever but for me i was like i would just stop it and be like everybody goes through an identity crisis like everybody has that problem we're just kind of stuck in it but like at the same time it's about it's about your fit. Does this does the school fit you? Does yeah. the program fit? Do the people fit you? What I found at our school was that the program I had like really great programs that I was or classes that I were in that were great. They fit my needs. I learned, etc. But what I learned about myself and like even just the things that I got to experience, like I've I've been bringing up the team a lot. Yeah. By far, one of my 
favorite fucking jobs. Really? Ever done. Wow. Was with that team. I had. Did you work with any other teams? I did. So I was already. Okay. So how it worked was that. Um, uh, I lost my train of thought. So I got hired on in my second year. Yep. To work as the writing tutor for all of varsity. All varsity teams. All varsity teams. Okay. So that's like 500 students. I think 500. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, the manager of the teams, he liked me so much yep. that he said, look, football, they're struggling, you know, uh, you want to come on and work for them. And I was like, sure, but what's going to happen with the rest of the teams? So he was like, we're going to bring on another person by your recommendation. I made my recommendation for a person. He got brought on to help. Mm-hmm. And so what happened was that my partner man, like helped with all the other teams and I was exclusive to the football team. Yeah. But... I also supported when needed with the other team. So I was exclusive oh. to the football team, but I still worked with all the other yeah, teams. Yeah, yeah. You, t- you tagged in every once in a I while. I tagged yeah. in. Yeah. Um, so I worked with the guys, and I, oops, I hit the mic. That's fine. Um, and then, so I, I, we had study hall. Mm-hmm. That's where Mike and I first began our beautiful relationship. Yep. And um, I was, I remember I was nervous my first day. But uh, then after that, I kept working with the team. Was ex- pretty much like basically exclusive with them. And then I did the odd and end jobs throughout the school. And then when I went into PR school, I got a call from our favorite manager mm-hmm. and he's like, Vic, what are you doing with your life? And I was like, Oh, there's that know. question again. Yep. And I was like, well, I'm actually still at school. Um, I'm on the campus actually just doing a different program. He's like, do you want to come back and work? Ooh, and I was just like, Oh opportunity yeah, knocks. I would do. And it turns out one of the guys actually told me it was because they didn't like the writing tutor they had mm. and they requested for me to come back. Wow. And I was like, oh, God, it's my heart strength. <laughs> um, but it, and yeah, they, they brought me back and coach loved me. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And yep. um, yeah, I came back for one more year, became better friends with a lot of the guys. And yeah, it was like by far probably one of my f- most favorite jobs. And thing was is that, and most of the guys didn't know this, I actually capped out so you know how it works for like a student uh you have like a certain amount that you make per the year you have to work a certain amount of hours okay did you know that no i didn't I okay didn't know so that, for yeah. like a work study student you have a certain amount of time yeah. a certain amount of hours you have to work a certain amount that you can be paid hmm. that's this makes a lot of sense yes now that, <laughs> now that, <laughs> now that I, you think yeah, about it now that i think about it and that i w- technically was a student for season one yeah now this makes sense now it makes oh sense. and no one told me yeah. oh boy so um when my first year of study hall, um, I capped out my uh, my my pay my my hours in uh, less than a month. Oh shit! So I basically did the rest of it for free because I, I honestly just love working with the guys. I yeah, it was so much fun. I. I had never seen that side of athletes before. Like you have the stereotype, you have the Blue Mountain State football player yeah. in your head. I think at the time though, the coach that was there really instilled. He like well, I mean, he for anyone who doesn't, were- yeah, for anyone who doesn't know how university football works, oh, yeah. if you're not, if you're not in, like, if you can't make make it, if you can't do it in the classroom. There's no fucking way you're getting on the field. Oh, no. Especially at our school. They were big on that. Like, coach was like, no. He's like, you don't make this. You don't do this. You don't get on the field. They had the three, the what is it, three warnings or whatever? It's, it's something, like, yeah. You miss study hall one time, you're doing suicides. Yeah. Second time is you have to do barrel rolls. I'm, I'm using examples. Third time, and this was the worst. This is like, 
this is like the three awful curses of Harry Potter was that yeah. you had to watch your your line do it you to for watch your, you. Yeah, yeah. You had to watch your positional group. I think it was positional yeah. group at the time. Yeah, like if you don't if if you don't do it in the classroom, you're. I mean, you need to stay in school to play. Eligibility. Yeah. It's at your eligibility. If you fuck up your school, you're not getting on the field. Mm-hmm. So when Vic was there, that was like that was probably number one. I mean, it took him a while to get it going. It took yeah. him a couple. It took him a year or two to to actually like get things to stick but then after it started rolling and then and the coach at the time um what that that was in study hall monitoring with me he was he was good yeah he and you know who he is and he was he was good for the sake of keeping the guys in line and then I feel like you guys made me prove myself because y'all thought I was just a nerd. I'm pretty sure. And I think, I say anyone, y'all I think like, anyone who any, anyone who helps the team. I'm yeah. not saying that that's that school. I mean, in general, anyone who is like an academic help might have like <laughs> might have the moniker of a nerd. Yeah, maybe. And um, I think you guys made me kind of work for it. But after that, I I like to think that the guys had a lot of respect for me. They and, did. Oh yeah, totally. And you're helping them. You're helping them play football. Yeah, and. Um, there was a really sweet story that I actually found out from one of the players recently. It was really, really sweet. He actually had a conversation with the, uh, the, the new, the newbies coming in in my last year doing it yep. that they weren't allowed to go after me. They weren't allowed to do anything because then they had to treat me like a coach. Yep. And apparently one guy made like a really like very a snide <sighs> comment, a little snide comment oh, no. about me oh, in no. the locker rooms. Cause one, you knew this because I, I remember I told you once that I was scared to do it, that if they disrespect me in any way, I was supposed to kick them out of study hall or they won't doing, weren't doing their job. Oh, like, OK. I was supposed to kick them out of study yeah. hall. I did it with this one. And then apparently he made like very, very snide, uh, very shitty, very snide shitty and comment. shitty comment and also a sexual. Oh, pass no, at me. that fucker. And apparently one of the vets, the captain at the time, went off on him in the locker rooms like just went off on him being like you don't treat her like that like she's helping you stay in school and then i noticed a change in his attitude towards me too oh yeah and like the i i found out that this vet the captain at the time and a few other ones just were like you don't you don't do it yeah but they also thought it was really funny because i would call them out on their shit because like i mean if you're helping them stay in school like i said i keep saying the word knuckleheads and it's not doesn't go lightly they're knuckleheads a lot of them you know and uh you're helping them stay there so i don't know why you would fucking bite the hand that feeds you yeah but uh but it was it was like my favorite it was my favorite job you were good at it too man how long did it last for second day four Four and a half, almost four and a half years. Oh my god! I was yeah, I was ready. Did they ask you to come back? They did in my last year. Uh, no, right. no. How about now? How about oh. now? Oh, um, do they ask me to come back? No. Um, I actually one of the old recruitment officers. She worked with the team. She wanted to try to bring me back to work with the team on a different level as like a coordinator position, and I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, actually, I went to this female empowerment thing at. Um, the MLSC group held and this woman there, she works for the CFL, works with all the guys, yep. basically has like my dream job. Like what she does with the CFL, oh. she actually works with them on a very different level. I'm not like, not tutoring, but like life stuff, I feel. Yeah, maybe. like life stuff. And yeah. she like, she actually helps recruit the players. Ooh, and I thought that was interesting okay. because she came in and she's like, I didn't have, a, like she grew up with football. Her yep. dad was a big football nut. And like she had an understanding, but she learned it more on the job. And she was like, there's a different, again, here comes the word fit that each player has to work with yep. to be on a team in, in the CFL. And I was like, 
she, and she was just so cool. Like she was, and she's like, I call the players out on their shit. If they're not coming to practice, like that's on them. They got to yeah. start like learning their own repercussions. It was just, it's just really interesting. She was very, very cool to talk to. That's a pretty cool job. It sounds like too mm-hmm. in the CFL. Yeah. Hmm. Vic. Um. What else? What else? What else we got here? I'm trying to think. Right. We're two hours in. I can't actually tell if you're like super drunk right now. No. No. I do this a lot. I feel like you have a good tolerance. Well, yeah. When I'm uh. No, I'm not drunk at all actually. When I'm when I'm listening, I try to get into it. I try to go. Like, hmm. What are they saying? <laughs> Let's analyze. I want to analyze it. Go ahead. Ask me questions. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what else What else I want to know. Is this know. the way that you wanted it to go, this conversation? Yeah, dude. We've been at it for two hours. And there's going to be very little, like, I cut out. And the thing, I think that, like, our conversation, like, it's definitely, like, there's, like, ebbs and flows. And there's, like, a lot of just in conversations. Because I remember coming into this being, like, what do you want to talk about? And you're, like. Just let it fly. Yeah. Like, there's. Like, when it's I, not scripted. When I, was, I hate scripting shit because then yeah. it ends up being train tracked. And then you end up. You end up running out of stuff to talk about and then you yeah. end up having to sit there in this awkward silence where this way, at least if there's an awkward silence, you can throw out anything you want and then that'll be yeah. the conversation. I have a question for you. Yeah. So um, I listened to various podcasts, mm-hmm. one of which that I'm listening to had a very interesting comment. So it's yep. a guy and a girl combo and it's yep. about dating, sex, all that fun stuff. So one of the things that he said was that, so the title of this podcast was Why Do Guys Send Dick Pics? They didn't actually talk about it, though, which okay. is an, <laughs> not that I'm asking no, that question. No, it's funny, though. <laughs> um, but he said that there are two things, and this is the differentiating factor between women mm-hmm. and men. So, oh, sorry. To give you context, it was why do girls date older and, uh, you know, it's hard for them to date in their age bracket yep. or younger. Um, and then why do guys in their age bracket not date their age, but date younger? It's like that kind of a concept. Yeah. So what the guy said to answer the girl's question, because they get like these emails in and out from their uh, viewers it was, or listeners, it was he said that guys are really concerned with being the last guy in their high school or university class, graduate class, to be unsuccessful, where girls are worried to be the last girl in their group of friends that isn't dating or married to someone. Do you think that's true? Yeah. I think so too, and I'd never thought of that before. I think, I mean, to, to take... Because I still keep, like, there's eight buddies that I have from school that we... All the Sioux guys? No, no, no. Well, some of the Sioux guys and then some of the guys we used to play football. There's eight, mm. oh, eight of us that we were in a Facebook group together. Like, we're tight. Cute. Tight this is what Facebook fuck. is for. Yeah. Tight <laughs> as fuck. And um, what did you say? That the guys are more afraid of being... The, the last one in their high school graduating class or their university graduating class to be considered unsuccessful. See, I think, like, in our group of friends we're all relatively successful in our streams mm-hmm. and because what and it's it's interesting cuz because of what we do the 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 ellipt- the i guess you want to call it the the trajectory of success is going to take place so far down field it's not really a a concern right now like we have two trainers two athletic trainers that are just starting hmm. we have a professional athlete who uh, is is coming? Is I think he starts negotiations soon, CFL. Um, then we have another guy who works in, in professional sports who does more of the game tape kind of thing. Oh, that's cool. Um, and then we have a guy who just got another, just got a, a full time job at at our university. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah, on the grounds and doing grounds kind of stuff. There's me who makes videos for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think, did I hit everyone? 
Did I get everyone? And then we have our other buddy who he's sort of the, the, the floater, but he's still making it work as, as well as he can yeah. doing what he wants to do. Right. Um, and I think the trajectory for our success, because all of us started the, the journey is to do what we all do. It, it, the success isn't going to come in your twenties. I think I don't think any success really comes like in the, the, the I think well because pro sports takes place in your twenties and oh, your yeah, early thirties yeah. okay. maybe he's more on the trajectory of success earlier okay um but for the rest of us for what we want to do you're not going to hit that for a while down the road so to be less successful I, I don't think is a valid question to ask because everyone's going to hit success at certain times and we're we're smart enough to know that. And the other thing is, is, how do you define success, right? Like I think if you're happy and you're healthy and you're doing what you want to do, whether it's being, you know, whether if you love being a fucking garbage man, be a fucking garbage man. Like, in, yeah. you know, if you love making videos, make videos. If you want to build houses, build fucking houses. Like, as and long as you're happy and healthy and you're doing what you want to do, you're successful. And, th- and that's true. And I think, like, in our age group, people don't really see that. Like, even with me, like, I, you know... When you come to university, you're grappling with that. And I finally have been able to say to myself, like, I'm doing probably better than I think I am. And that's OK. You're like, doing better than most of the people your age. Probably. Yeah, probably. You know what sound. I mean? But when it comes to like the girl side of it, it's true. You don't. And I and full disclosure, I face that where I'm like, oh, I'm still single. Oh, but, I but, forgot to ask. I forgot to answer yeah. the female side of that. Yeah, go ahead. OK. Um, and then I just think the female side of where you said what? That most people are afraid to be married last. So they don't want to be the last one in their girl group of friends to be either married or not dating someone. See, I can't. I just interrupted you to, to speak on it, and I'm sitting here going, I can't even fucking answer that. You would I be can't. you would be the better authority on that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I can say yes. I've grappled with it. I've, yeah. I've been there. Well, I am there. Um, but at the same time, and that's why they date older. But I have a whole thing about dating older because I've tried to date older. Mm-hmm. Um, so you women tend and it's amazing that now i'm figuring it out women tend to date older because they those guys are already considering themselves successful they have their shit together sure they you know whatever their kpis or key performance indicators are or whatever the but, fuck is that what's a kpi okay i have a problem with i actually use a lot of business jargon in my in my general language now yeah. that it's hard so whenever you start with a client they're like what are your key performance indicators which is a kpi which is how they define their success Okay. I know it's so there's a there's a there's a phrase called KPI yes. and and it, what what does that encompass as it far encompass as success? It encompasses whatever the client wants. So in PR, some clients are like, we want ten interviews for our CEO oh, like in each pro- province. Measurable metrics. Measurable metrics uh, okay. in a quantifiable as well as qualifiable that's, measure. But but in relationship land, that's like a one way ticket to crazy cat lady. That's like stage five clinger. Well, I mean, I feel like <laughs> if you're if you're breaking it down to a checklist, that's the thing you shouldn't. You, that's a whole other conversation. Let me answer the question first. <laughs> yeah. So, when it comes to um, that, <coughs> it's supposed. Excuse me. It's supposed to be that you know you date older because they're at that same line as success. They're supposed to be the same. You know, they're on the same path or their meeting point or whatever. But like at the same time. I, those guys are supposed to be, you know, at a successful place, successful place. And I don't actually know if they are because I've, I've dated air quotes older or been on dates with older guys. Yep. And sometimes I see that they look at me and because I'm 26. So like one guy I went out on a date with was like 32. Mm-hmm. He looks at me. He's like, oh, well, you're 26. What does yep. that even mean? 
Like, I, you know, and like, I, I can understand where he's coming from. Like, you probably don't have it together. Yeah. But that's why you're going out on dates is you're trying to figure it out. Sure. Like you yeah. and and then it, it begs the question that if they're at a position where they're OK, they, they have their success. So technically, they're not falling in the age bracket where they're worried about it. Yeah. But the girl is falling in the place where she's worried about, you know, being the last one. But he makes a comment like that. Like, how do you what do you do with that? You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I think it. I think where he fits into their life because if if they're at a point where they're self sufficient, then all you can offer them is like loyalty and companionship. That's all the only thing you can offer them because they're so okay with being on their own, right? Okay. If they're so okay with being on their own, the only thing you can offer them you can't offer them money, you can't offer them status, you can't offer them anything. The only thing that you can offer them as a companion is that is a, is loyalty and companionship. That's pretty much it. That's. Oh, at that point, I should get a dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, but like, if and if he's pulling that on you, he's saying, "Oh, you're only 26." I understand that. I mean, he's 32. He's probably he was also half an hour late to this. He date. was half an hour late, so I he stuck it out, and he can't tell fucking time. <laughs> um, but I, dude, I think guys are just more mature these days. So 32 is like the new like 25. Ooh, I didn't think of it. You know what I mean? Like we're it's like oranges and new black. Well, really. uh, like I said earlier, how the the decade. We have that decade of reset. Oh, and they're still in the reset. Well, at Whoa. 32, you're still sort of young, man. My, my, my brother-in-law is 32. Yeah. And he's married to my sister. And they're, you know, they're, they're on their way. But I think at 32 these days, it's still so fucking young, man. Yeah. No one really has their shit together till later on. So like I said, that's why 20, your 20s is such a reset. Because you can do whatever the fuck you want. You can go live in a fucking hut in Thailand. I have a buddy who's who, who's traveled everywhere. He's living in Australia doing demolition. And that's what he wants to do. Yeah. He's 28 and whatever happens, happens. But that's what he feels like he needs to do in this stage of his life. So to be 32 and to say something like that, it's like it, maybe he doesn't have it together either. And he, you should do a TED talk on the reset button. I think that would be a really. good I don't one. know enough. I just remember stuff. I don't. I don't know that much. I just remember a lot. I'm reading a really cool book that I think a lot. it's called. Um, everyone's gonna fucking laugh and they're gonna they're gonna snicker and go. <laughs> oh, now you're trying to be Joe Rogan, but I'm reading Jordan Peterson's book, Twelve Rules of Life. It's good. I read it. Okay. It's dope as shit. It's so good. It's so good. Read and it. I think everyone needs to read it because it gives you a different perspective on all this sort of thing, right? It does. I'm on chapter, uh, I think I've read three chapters, and you know, four chapters. And one chapter is take care of yourself like, like you're, like you're, take, I think it's take care of yourself like it's someone you're responsible for. Or like the lobster, carry yourself shoulders back, chest out, because it's gonna trick your body into thinking you're more successful than yeah, you are, yeah. and your life it's it's it, it's gonna be, you know, it's gonna slowly uptick, uptick, uptick. People are gonna look at you differently, and then you're gonna get yourself out of whatever dark place you're in. Yeah, like it's that kind of shit. I, it's like when a woman struts down the street. It's, exactly, it's a strut. You gotta find your strut. It's just you get you're getting interacted with differently, and that's gonna cause serotonin to go up, and then you're it, it just. It's incremental, little tiny t- changes, n- you know, nudges you towards yeah. that area, right? So, I don't know the original. What was the original question? <laughs> I don't remember it. Did honest. we fuck up? That's um, okay. That's okay. Um, We're in a reset. We can fuck up. Yeah, yeah. This can get cut out. It's fine. Um, what What's else, man? What else you want to? What else you want to talk about? I don't know. What do you want? To what talk are we here about? for? Um, 
to be honest, I think we're. I think I'm good on my end. I'm pretty good. Yeah. Um. I always. I always end with this. So, what? What are we at? Okay, we're at two, perfect. It's perfect. So to end it off, okay. Six thirty. By the way. See, we went longer than I thought. I yeah. think you thought we were gonna go. Yeah, I'm excited. We should yeah. do this again sometime. Um, totally. Everyone, <laughs> who, everyone who sits in that chair says that. I'm really like, I kid you not. I really want to talk to like Marco. I don't know why. I just feel like we could have a really great conversation on an educa- like an educational yeah. conversation about like. Oh man, I was just, I just loved, I just loved that podcast. Marco, I was texting you yeah. while I was listening to it, and I was like. I am so aligned. Marco, yeah, Marco has probably had the most experience at a university. He, I've been in a lot of, like I've been in two universities and a college. Marco's just been in it the longest and he's had to deal with, some, like I've dealt with fucking a ton of bullshit. He's also done dealt with a ton of bullshit. So he's got definite thoughts. I have definite thoughts on, on university. I just, I feel like I hurt my parents' feelings when I talk about it. Because they they take it as they take it as school was a way for them to get a better life, and that's a very European thing. Exactly, the same way. Exactly. When I look at it, I go, "Mom and Dad, it's not like that anymore, though." It's not that when you graduate, you're guaranteed a job. Like, holy you're, crap! If I didn't, and I, me and Marco talked about this, if I didn't get up off my ass when I was in school and taught myself this stuff, I'd be fucked. Yeah, I would have graduated with a degree with fucking zero experience, like yeah. nothing, and I would have been. It was hard enough already finding a job. I think I had I, I had five hundred resumes out on Indeed, and yep, it was al- it was already hard enough. And if I didn't figure out, hey, dude, like no one's gonna come save you. You got to save yourself and start a business and start reaching out. I would have been fucking flatlined. And it's funny because like professors in the education system say that you know there's like you know when we graduate there's a sense of nepotism that we have to kind of overcome and we have to kind of deal with, um, but nobody tells you how hard you have to work to get that job because there are like people that are out there. They're like, Hey, I had to work for it. You're going to have to do it. Some people will just give you the job, but nine times out of 10, you really do have to work for it. Not many people want to. I'm a, I'm a proponent of making your own though. This is true. I don't, I don't, I don't like when people say, you know, like for me, I just, for, for everyone. And I had this conversation with a guy in the sauna last night in the sauna. In the sauna, I met him in the sauna. His name was Keith, real good guy. We, he was a he's the CFO of of stuff. He's a CFO of of bunch of startups. Cool. And I was talking to him about how um, not enough people have learned to work for themselves. And when you work for yourself, you have a different perspective on how to deal with life because yeah. you actually like what you do. And you're not going to work every day going fuck. I can't wait till five o'clock. Like you're sitting there going, I want to make some cool shit. Uh, I, as with me, I come home nine like. The, the stuff that's nine to five is a little more dry. It's still making stuff. I'm still writing scripts and being silly. But then I come home and I'm like, man, this is what I want to do. This is all the cool shit. Yeah. So like to tell everyone to there's not enough people out there starting their own business because there's everyone's so afraid of of what people are going to think and and opinions and all that kind of shit. And it's like when I started this podcast, I'm sure there's people that snickered and went Pfft. But now I'm seven podcasts in and I'm like, I'm going to keep doing it. I don't give a fuck really now. Like, and I'm it's in it. fun. And it's Everyone fun. Everyone should find something that they really like doing. And like, do it. Yeah. And do a, a lot of it and do it all the time because you might, not, you, it may turn into a bit, it may turn into something you get paid to do. Yeah. And like the biggest thing is, is you want something, you don't want your job to feel like work. You want your job to feel like just another extension of you. I mean, there's, there's theories that go, I, I was reading this other really cool book called Bullshit Jobs. 
I suggest you read it by David Graeber. And it's all about how the corporate system, um, it's all it's all bullshit. Most of the jobs, if if I think he he had a stat that's like if fifty five percent of jobs in our society, if they were to disappear tomorrow, you would you would never know. You yeah. would never know. Your routine would stay the same. Your, th- your it's what true. you eat, it, it yeah. would just be whatever. And it's like, and he had he had, he has a theory of you know these corporations employ so many people just to keep them from doing that, from keep keeping them because when you have a, an idle population, they start asking questions. Yep. And then those people go, well, what, I can do this better. And then they create a more innovative system. And then now all these huge corporations have competition. And that's what they don't want. They don't want that. It may be a little bit of a of a conspiracy theory, but it's a theory nonetheless. Yeah. Right? So I would just say, just start a fucking business. Whatever you think you know, just start doing it. Start a podcast. Start a fucking film company. Do whatever. I agree. Like, I, I agree in the sense, like, maybe you can also play devil's advocate and you're you know you say it's not for everyone i i would love i have the ambition to one day start my own business in the long run but at the same time i also don't know if i like and maybe this is my age now i don't feel like i have the like i don't know the mental endurance to want to manage so many people in my like be a ceo i would love to be a manager within a company but in the long run like if i could start a company and be like yeah i did that it's pretty cool. But that thought process is the same thing as saying that you're afraid of driving because you might turn into a NASCAR driver. <laughs> that would be pretty dope. But uh, it's the same thought it process. Is, to sit similar, there and yeah. go, I don't want to do this because I might end up too successful. That's just, it's a silly thing to say. Could be that I'm, maybe it's like an admission of me being lazy. Like I don't want to do it. This could maybe be you're thing. lazy, Vic. I don't maybe. know. Maybe. I could be. <laughs> this is a great, this is great. We're figuring out so much about me. This right is, now. Uh, this is now turning into a therapy session. <laughs> This is beautiful. To end it off, we'll end it off here because yeah. this is getting good. Um, what is your advice? I always end it off with uh, someone giving advice. Not advice. I hate, I hate, I don't want it to be inspirational. I don't want it to be, I don't want you to nudge people in a direction. But in, in your field and how you do what you need to do, I guess if anyone's out there who wants to do what you do. Like PR? Like PR, let's say. What would you tell them uh, to give them the best chance of being successful at what you do? Mm. Honestly, it's it's PR, not ER. We're not saving lives. It's it's okay to just do it and enjoy it. It's so if you enjoy it, great. If you don't enjoy it, please don't do it. That's hard enough as it is. But like just whatever you do, just enjoy it. And if people want to fucking judge you, just remember you're probably they are going to have more gray hairs than you do. So let's not do that. Starving Artist, Volume 7, with Victoria. Thank you for being here. Thank you. And hope you guys liked it.